Hello and welcome to episode 239 of the Random Channel Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. I'm Kevin. And we're calling this episode Blockbusters due to two games that involve a whole lot of blocks being busted. Uh, Super Mario Bros. 35, which we'll have impressions of here at the top of the show, and Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, specifically because of the newly announced fighters of Steve and Alex from Minecraft, which we'll be talking about a little later in the show. And I'm pretty sure you can imagine how much we have to say about that. Uh, Plus, we're going hands-on with the upcoming Switch version of Pikmin 3 Deluxe. Uh, discussing a whole wave of DLC news beyond Smash, which likes more Combat 11 and Pokemon's Crown Tundra. Later in the show, we'll have a discussion of recent gaming uh, documentaries, High Score and Console Wars, which now that I think about, one's a movie. I guess that also kind of fits with Blockbuster. So I guess we have three things that are Blockbusters. And then we also have Hades, which doesn't fit Blockbuster whatsoever, but it's apparently a very good game. So um, we have all that. There's timestamps at Ramtown.com for those who uh, want to jump to any specific segments. But uh, how's everyone doing? You guys are kind of quiet. Well, we haven't had a chance to talk. You literally (laughs) are just going through it. Yeah, like, what do you want us to say? Just interrupt you in the middle of it? I mean, that's how it normally goes. So yes, (laughs) no. But uh, how? How? What you guys been playing Uh, lately? How's everything going? Goes kind of normally abnormally quiet. (laughs) Just the right amount of quiet, personally. Okay, so it's a good amount of quiet. I'm gonna show you quiet. I hope you don't, because uh, uh, one of the games we want to talk about that I know you're playing too, Angel, is um, Super Mario Bros. 35. How are you? How are you liking it? Or am I going to be talking to a wall? <laughs> Looks like you're talking to a wall. Looks just, like it. All right. Well, how do I like it. it? Thanks for asking. Well, let me tell you. Didn't no, but, ask. Uh, <laughs> I asked myself. No, but um, uh, it's interesting. I think. Um, I mean, Angel, how much time have you actually put into it? Like silence aside. Uh, a couple hours. What What's your like initial read on it? Because it 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 feels like a game that like it doesn't explain itself <laughs> very clearly at the start. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean you think you're playing Mario, and you kind of are, but you're not supposed to play Mario the way you would normally play Mario. Essentially, it's like they just because of the rules of the game, like it's not initially clear what it takes to win. You might think, mm-hmm. okay, maybe it's whoever gets the furthest. I mean, clearly it's like you want to knock people out, but do you gain anything from completing a, a bunch of levels? Like, no, not really. It just comes down to <laughs> um, just finding a nice spot where you could just camp out and just combo enemies so you could get a lot of time. Because in reality, mm-hmm. it just comes down to who has the most time because you, you essentially play the game assuming no one is going to accidentally kill themselves. Because if you do, then you're going to be wasting a lot of time and you're not going to really win. You want to have the most amount of time because to when there's like, I think, five people left out of the 35, the timer speeds up. So it goes like, I think, twice as fast. And essentially, the idea is that at that point, you're losing more time than you're gaining, even if you're comboing. And depending on some of the circumstances, because in this game, anytime an enemy is killed, it goes to an opponent's screen. But I've also noticed that sometimes you don't want to kill enemies because if your opponent has an item or is just positioned in a level where they can literally just jump off of every enemy back-to-back pretty much for infinity, then mm-hmm. you're pretty much giving them the win. Because then they could choose... They could either keep killing enemies and then it just causes like a long stalemate. Like It seems like, if anything, the first like half the game is just kind of ignoring and just playing the game a little normally while there's thir- like over 30 people but then the last like half which the last half which sometimes takes longer than 
the first part, I don't know. Like it's it just feels like a different game. I know it's, yeah, I, it's weird. I think I think what struck me most when first playing it, you kind of hit the nail on the head, is that like, like I mean, there are similarities to Tetris ninety nine. It's like the same developers. It's using the same rough like shell of yeah. the game, like the layout, the target menus, people, the same, the way same way, way. exactly. Um, but with Tetris ninety nine, like all you're doing is playing Tetris as you always have. The only difference is the garbage box go a bit more willy-nilly like you can strategically choose who to hit with garbage but at the end of the day you're still playing tetris you still have the same tetris yeah. mechanics the really good tetris combos and strategies exactly. are effective in tetris 99 yeah but but with yeah. mario 35 kind of like you're saying if you're playing a traditional mario game like if you're just like you're saying you know the first half you just kind of walk through it like a mario game if you do that the whole time you're not gonna win you can't and you can't really like and then the logical thing would be oh you speed run it because that's how like competitive mario has worked up to now but no it's not really that either it's this weird thing where like the emphasis is pretty much like you're describing around not necessarily clearing levels, but like strategically trying to go after enemies at at the right moment and then collect coins to ensure that you have your block, your item rotation block ready when you need it. Like if you just waltz through it like a normal Mario game, it doesn't work. And that's kind of what's interesting about it to me is that like I mean ultimately what we're discussing is like the meta of how to win, right? Like the best way to win, the best strategy is doing the approaches you're describing. But I think what's sort of like holds Mario 35 back a little, at least at first, is there's zero indication that you need to think this way. Like, there's no indication of anything with this game. I mean, when you when you start it up, you access one level, and then you slowly unlock more levels over time, and you can kind of choose which you'd like to compete in. But how do you unlock them? The game doesn't exactly say. You just kind of unlock them. And, like, what does choosing a level do? Again, like, the game doesn't really ever tell you. You just kind of figure it out. Like, it, it was actually the uh, Super Mario Bros. Twitter account, which does all those, like, deep weird quirky facts about mario where i learned that choosing a level adds it to the rotation of levels that other people in your group of 35 has also have also chosen and from what i can tell it seems it seems to only match you with that folks who choose that level or lower right but nowhere in the game does it tell you that yeah so what it means though right is that there's a bit of like a shuffling playlist anytime you play of the level you chose and anything earlier than that which sometimes the levels you can get very even if you choose the same one or not. Like, I'll often do level 2-3, which usually gives me a starting point level 1-1, one, one, followed by 1-2, then occasionally the castle, you know, like 1-4, rare occasions a water level. And for me, I found a strategy that works with that. Like, my strategy becomes a loop where I do level 1-1, one, one, I go 1-2, take the warp zone back to 1-1, one, one, go back to 1-2, and just keep looping and just keep plowing through enemies with a fireball as much as I can. Um, and that becomes, like, a weird war of attrition sort of way to potentially win where you just keep grinding the clock and then ultimately you might outlast other people if they make mistakes. And it might not be the best strategy. It could take way longer to win. And even then it boils down, like I was saying, to like the clock running out. You know, who, whoever happens to stomp on a Goomba for a two or three second time boost in the last couple seconds there instead of doing a Fire Flower for a one second time boost ultimately is going to win, which is a silly way to decide a winner. Um, and in fact, the one time I came close to winning when I got second place, I lost because a millisecond difference for like I fire flowered, he Goomba stomped and like I, as I died, saw him dying cause his clock expired too, but they're so close together that like I still lost. But my point is like, that's a strategy you can do. Another one's like what you're describing where you play it normal. And then the second half you kind of, it, you know, you shift your focus. Another strategy I've seen is people saying, do the layer levels as soon as you can. So all the powerful enemies like hammer bros and Bowser and bloopers who, um, actually just kind of fly around the screen really nilly when they're not in water like they can become sort of weaponized to use on people when they're in the earlier levels if you are in the later levels and sort of use them first type of thing um so like there's always different ways of doing it but i kind of feel like 
the game doesn't really tell you anything. Like, you sort of just, you learn all this through experience or through reading things, but the game, when you go in, there's no indication you can't just play it like a Mario. And I think that might actually turn some folks off to it because it's really, like, there's, like, a disconnect almost, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I could see that. I mean, I don't really see that as a downside. I mean, at least not that big of a downside because any game where, I don't know, it, it, just, it seems like it could be kind of, excited to figure those things as you go and almost feel like like oh cool i'm gonna use the strategy against people because they haven't figured it out yet you know i mean it's like its own puzzle but yeah i mean but, i don't but my to, or go ahead go but ahead. my kind of biggest problem with i guess this game so far is that like winning in tetris is like immensely satisfying in tetris 99 because you out tetris everybody else mm-hmm. in this one like the more effective strategies especially towards the end like to me like don't feel like they're skillful like they're yeah. they're just like once you know it's just kind of like who can play the cheapest like when i won like when i got first place in mario 35 i was literally just cycling between the first two levels like i had so the op- I do. like i had the option <laughs> to go to different levels when i would enter the the secret zone or the warp zone but i would just keep picking the first and second levels cuz i knew like exactly where all the things I needed were. I could handle all the enemies there and I always had a power up with me so if things got in a you know, in a crunch or mm-hmm. in the bind I could just fire flower my way out of it or roll the block and get a star and go crazy. Although that, for, that's another thing. But for the most part it, no skill. But for the most that's, part it, oh God. Sorry. But for the most part, like it just felt unsatisfying. Like when I won it was like I don't know. It, it was more of like that's what it takes to win instead of like, oh man, I freaking won. Like, I didn't feel better than the other people. I just felt like... I don't know. It, it just wasn't the same. Like, I, I didn't get a lot of gratification from winning, I guess, is the, yeah. the short event. What I was trying to say to your point is, like, you are saying, you know, it doesn't feel like it's necessarily skill-based. You literally said one of the things you have to depend on is the uh, rotating... Like, the item roulette that you get. So every 20 coins, for people who haven't played it, um, you get a stack of potential items you can do, but it's an item roulette. So it could be a power a power block, it could be a fire flower, a mushroom, a star... It's very possible you get one that's not as useful as another, and that can make or break it. So it's yeah, not like you Tetris get a mushroom where, when you're already big, and it's like, well, that's nothing. Yeah, and like the thing with Tetris is obviously the blocks are randomized too, but there it, there's always a way out in Tetris. With this, it's like a mushroom that's on top of your already existing mushroom literally does nothing. So it does like there is an element of chance here, which I guess all the Mario multiplayer games all have that. If you think about it. Kart, Party, even Smash on some level, if you have items on, so this does kind of fit the Mario mold, but it is. You know, for something that's supposed to be like a battle royale, super competitive, it does sort of take a little strategy out because you're kind of dependent on, you know, what you get. And hopefully the wave of enemies, of garbage enemies in front of you, plays nice with the item you got. Otherwise, well, that's that. And you can't control that. And yeah. But I, and I think that kind of, to, to my thing about like how they don't explain anything, I think that's kind of like the lack of, like, or lack of, I guess, satisfi- uh, being satisfied by it. I think that's. That kind of factors in because, like, if you imagine, like, the first, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, I was really, like, I wasn't feeling it at all because, like, it's one thing to to figure it out as you go and learn strategies. Like, the strategy I was describing, I kind of figured out myself, like, doing the one-two loop seems to work best for me and that sort of thing. But if you're just trying to play it like a normal Mario and you just start losing and you're just like, well, what skill does it take to win with no guidance whatsoever of, well, this isn't like Mario, even though it kind of is like Mario. Like, they sort of set the precedent with Tetris 99 that's gonna be what you think it is just more of it and this is not it's something different and I think that's kind of what's weird especially like they still do it 
Like, they have events in the game right now. Every few days they do a special event, which is kind of cool. They borrowed it from Tetris 99. It's like the Maximus Cups. Um, one this weekend is called Frantic Fight Against Exceptional Enemies, and it emphasizes more powerful enemies on earlier stages. And that's cool. It shakes up the gameplay a little. But, like, I don't know what doing them gets you. Like, in, in Tetris 99, the Maximus Cups give you skins or they give you points or my Nintendo coins if you're doing it during a tournament. Maybe you get an exclusive icon or something here. I don't really know, but the game doesn't literally just doesn't tell you anything. So you can't even be like, okay, well, if I'm not, in your case, Angel, if you're not satisfied just by winning for the sake of winning because you feel, you know, it's just kind of doing the rote thing, you don't even get, like, the prize at the end of the, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. There's no prize there. It's just like, oh, well, now you did it over here instead of over there. Isn't that cool? It's just like, I, I guess. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of, it feels like it's missing. There's no carrot at the end of the stick, I guess. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. Kind of unfortunate because I was looking forward to this. But, man, more time for Smash Bros, I guess. I, I do think the thing it does well, though, I want to defend it a little, is one, it tracks stats like no other. Like, there's some really crazy amount of stats you can see, like which enemies you kill, a little line graph of your performance. Like, there's all sorts of cool stats. And, like, for all this talk of, you know, it's not very satisfying, I have yet to actually get number one. I've got number two, and that's keeping me going. Like, I sat and played something that, you know, is relatively simple for, like, three straight hours just trying to get number one in, and I've gone back more... a few times to do it. But I, what were you going to say? I definitely was more into the game before I got number one than after I got number one. Because mm-hmm. I think, like, before that, kind of like you said, it's like, like oh, like, you kind of wonder, like, what it's going to take to get number one. But then after I got it, I was just kind of like, oh, I don't really want to have to do that again. Like, it was just kind of... Because it doesn't really give... Once you're at a really good position, you're literally just waste, like wasting out the time doing the exact same thing. Yeah, you're running the clock. Or you're not even... Or you're barely even moving. So, like, it's not like... I feel like it should get more intense... You know, it, it, the intensity should match the, I guess, the prize, and I guess it kind of doesn't. It's like what it takes to win, it ends up being easier than which how tough it is in the beginning. Because in the beginning, you're kind of scrambling to get in a good spot, but once you get there, like, it's, yeah, it's kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely, like, a finite amount of strategy with Mario 35 because, as you said, like, once you find the strategy, you just keep repeating it. I mean, and that, then it just becomes wars of attrition, basically, because these matches last a long yeah, time too. They last like fifteen minutes. Like Tetris Nine Nine's like seven tops, maybe. And more than They're half like, of the time, it's probably going to be you and one other person. Yeah, yeah. Like when I got second, it was me and him, literally until we ran out the clock, and we both had like two hundred seconds when it got down to the two of us, and we were still killing enemies, and it was still you know keeping the clock going. Like it was like five or ten minutes with just the two of us. Um, and that's just yeah, that's just kind of odd because at that point you're just like well can i win or lose like you don't want to lose because you're so close to winning but how long are you guys sit there and rotate through world one one and one two over and over and over um it, what's certainly not helping right now too is the game's already been hacked like people oh, are yeah. seeing yeah hard. like there's a bunch of people with coin counts of ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine, which means basically they have infinite items and when the coin count dictates your iron roulette which dictates if you win kind of sucks um but I do, I do think, you know, uh, hacker thing aside, and hopefully Nintendo squashed that. They've been taking down YouTube videos of people doing hacks, but they haven't, I don't think, blocked the root hack yet. But um, ignoring that, I do think the limited strategy of, of Mario 35, like maybe, maybe this kind of gives Nintendo the out for why it's a limited time event of a game. Like, it's, you know, it's very possible that as they were building this out, they too sense it doesn't have longevity in a traditional sense. It's kind of like a, you know, you're going to try for a bit. It's sort of like a marketing tool. It definitely tool. was fun for a bit. I thought it was yeah. going to be... Because, I mean, Tetris 99, like, because you really are just playing competitive Tetris and Tetris in and of itself, for the most part, never really gets old. 
I mean, mm-hmm. Tetris still being around is kind of a testament to that. But so I was kind of hoping that this would be the case for Mario 35, that it'd be like a game that could easily survive forever. And I was even like, like I remember we had this conversation where I was, I was kind of bummed out that it was only going to be available for a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. But after playing it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, like I, I'm, I'm probably done with it sooner than, yeah. Than it's, but you know, at least Which... I'm glad I was able to try it though. So. Yeah, and to and to kind of echo what we were talking about when Mario Thirty Five was first announced, um, and you know the concerns about short term games and like limited engagement, shall we say? Um, mm-hmm. This does make me kind of hope. I, that I guess they... I wish I was upset that I'd be leaving soon. Yeah, like I kind of, I well, the fact that it you feels this way makes me think maybe like I still have hope that they're going to rotate in other games after this one's done. Like if they did other NES games in a battle royale format, that could be really cool. Um, I know Angel, you and I were talking uh, about this with a friend the other day, but Nintendo's in this really unique position where they have all these classic IPs with classic gameplay that's so simple and so understood, and it seems very easy for them to remix and reintroduce them in different ways. I mean, literally the NES remix series, right? And they're doing it now with Mario Thirty Five. And if they keep going down this road, you know, it's kind of a value add for Switch Online. Maybe even combine it, combine them and do like a NES remix battle royale at the end of this or something, or package it up in some way. Like that's a cool, presumably relatively affordable way for Nintendo to do some fan service, offer something new and exclusive, and kind of keep us from getting bored. You know, they they might see there's not a lot of depth here, so then maybe it's not. Maybe Mario Thirty Five isn't a one and done. Maybe it's a part of a series, and we just have to see what comes next. And I think signs point to Nintendo maybe doing a little more of those types of engagements because uh, if you look at the game trial program they're doing with Switch Online, that went from being once in a blue moon to now what appears to be a regular occurrence. I mean, uh, this guy of five wrapped up on the 29th of September, and now two weeks later, Nintendo's going to be offering for a full week Overwatch for free for all Switch Online subscribers from the 13th of October to the 20th. So that's a much quicker turnaround than they've done with any other uh, extended demo period. So I'm starting to think... Maybe they're finally doing what they promised, where they're going to try and address churn and actually, you know, if we'll see if they do something after Overwatch. But signs, signs of Overwatch and Overwatch signs two of what? Uh, in like a year or something. Kevin, do you know not what comes any, out? Not anytime soon. That game's not coming out for another two years. Yeah, and isn't it like cross? Like, isn't Overwatch two and Overwatch going to play against each other and have the same characters or something? Like, aren't yep. they doing some weird thing? Wait, something like something like that. Oh. How's that even work if you do a sequel? Like, I don't under- I I have literally no, don't understand. They, the they logic. have not. They have <laughs> not announced anything. They they literally dropped it at one BlizzCon, and mm-hmm. please, there that game is not coming years away soon. <laughs> yeah. They're, yeah, they're just not coming out. Period. <laughs> I mean, they, with the exception of maybe StarCraft Ghost, Blizzard considering the eventually releasing of what they promised. World's events. There's a good chance that that game will uh, not release by the time that somebody blows up the Earth. So, <laughs> or it'll be out on the PS6 and Xbox uh, Series Z or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm curious though. Uh, speaking of Overwatch, because I've never actually played it. Um, do uh, San Kevin, Francisco I Shock just uh, won the uh, Overwatch League champions a couple of days ago? What are they back back to back champs? Is there like a trophy for that? I imagine. Yep, like a, there is. A, is there a trophy? For nice that? looking trophy for that <laughs> for that game. Is there a monetary prize too, or is it because it's like a there is a monetary prize. one million dollars? I think you are right. Lucky guess, Angel. <laughs> or did you know that? Wow. Um, let me see. Who, who did I say one? The the shock. Yeah, the, the shock. season's playoff. Uh, a million five hundred dollars. Ah, a million five hundred. A million five hundred thousand. One point five. One point five million dollars. <laughs> Not one point oh five. 
<laughs> um, so one, congrats, congrats to the shark. Yeah. Two, um, how is, I know you play on PC, Kevin, right? But how yep. is, have you heard one way or another, is Overwatch on Switch good? Like if I wanted to try it and I only have a Switch, would you say it's worth it? Or do you think uh, I, I'm going to get a really new Yeah, I mean, if that's the if that's the only way that you can play it, sure. It's not the best way to play it. I would go as far as to say it's the worst way to play it, but it's a, <laughs> it's still it's still a very good game. I mean, I guess if you're available options, it would be the worst. I don't think it's available for mobile, but I mean, it sounds like most people in general would try to stay away from using a controller no matter what. Mm. Yeah. Do they do crossplay? Over, oh, no. Overwatch oh, is literally so the only reason suffers. that I got into PC gaming. Because mm-hmm. when I saw the trailer for Overwatch, I said, okay, I want to play that. I do not want to use a controller. And so that's why I got into PC gaming. I literally just built my computer so that I could play the Overwatch beta when it came out. Huh. And now here I am, like, I'm going to use two Joy-Con. It'll be fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm sure it'll be fine. It, it's yeah. Overwatch. I feel like is like is like pizza. Like even it's like cold pizza. You know, it's okay. Yeah, cold pizza cool. is still fine. It's not the best way to experience pizza, but it's still pizza. You know, it's better yeah. than no pizza. Just don't enjoy yeah. it. It's better than no yeah. pizza. Yeah, exactly. So, um, <laughs> do you think? <laughs> great analogy. Uh, do you think? Like this is um, when we were talking about like how you play stuff on PC. It dawned on me. Do you think they positioned this for right now because they thought Apex Legends was going to hit Switch right now, which is what originally EA was kind of hinting at? No, I I don't know why they would do this. Oh, <laughs> did they get baited <laughs> like Sylvester Stallone? Like Sylvester Stallone, he got baited. Um, into taking the the role of no, what was it? I think it was Rambo because. Arnold Schwarzenegger was publicly saying that he wasn't interested in the role, just so that someone else would take it. And huh. well, I think it was specifically so Stallone would take it, because he didn't want to do it. And he was just saying like, like, oh, he wants the role, but he might not be able to do it, so he just jumps on it. And yeah, and that's, I guess he kind of helped his career, but he essentially tricked them into doing that multiple times for multiple roles. That's there's really a, funny. There's I never heard that. that before. That's funny. It's kind of funny that that's, that was an actual thing, but apparently they really don't like each other. Interesting, and they're both in but, the same game, technically. Which yeah, which we'll get to in a little while. Yeah, Mortal Kombat, but um, yeah, I don't know. It just feels like like the timing of them now being like, "Hey, Overwatch, come check it out!" Like it should have been roughly. They said fall for Apex on Switch. We're in fall. This is fall. It seems oh, like they were kind of lined it's, up. It's the first year anniversary of it being on Switch. Oh, that makes more sense. Wow, okay. Jason. Yeah, I thought you were. Here I, am with I thought my you were deep, man. Theories. I thought I was too. I'm so disappointed. Oh, Calendar um, Man. There we go. That's an actual DC this... villain who, I guess, his ability is knowing what happens in any day. I don't know. I thought you said annoying, not knowing. And I was like, wow, rude. No, just knowing. His ability is he's annoying. Jason, that's you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's funny because I don't even know when Apex is coming out anymore. Because I know EA just announced Need for Speed Hot Pursuit. Or, no. Yeah, Need for Speed Hot Pursuit Remastered for Switch, which comes out next month. But Apex is just eh, somewhere. But I guess we have Overwatch for now. Um, weird tangent. Point is, uh, I think Mario Thirty Five might, uh, you know, become a like a season thing, and there'll be different games. But we shall see. We shall see. Uh, Kevin, why aren't have you played it? Why are you not playing it? It's free. Does not look interesting to me. I'd rather play anything else than that game. Uh, especially after Nintendo took down that uh, Mario Battle Royale. Oh looks, yeah, there are stories about that. Infinitely looks it looked infinitely more interesting than this game to me, 
personally. So, yeah, no, that one, for those who don't know, that one is basically Mario 35, except you're not in your own world playing one another and sending garbage enemies back and forth. You are all in one world playing at once, right? Yeah, that sounds cooler. Yeah, it does. I think it's a lot more, like, and that kind of goes back to what I was saying, but I feel like Nintendo's, like, just got to rotate these games. They're doing, like, minimal, like, here's our IP, here's our engine, just run with it to just pump out new stuff, because, like, that one would be very hard to build on top of Tetris 99. This one was very easy to build on top of Tetris 99, I would imagine. So, you know, something like the Battle Royale. Although I did see there's a whole brouhaha over, um, I guess someone's claiming Nintendo stole the idea from that other one. But I don't, I feel like they didn't because it's not the same. And not only that, but apparently this one's been planned out since Tetris 99 was done with development. So, but still, that just seems like, I don't know. If you're going to rip off the idea, at least do it the, all the way for the more interesting one, right? I mean, well, they're both Battle Royales in a sense. I'm sure yeah. Nintendo didn't want their Battle Royale to be to be outclassed by a different one, by a fan-made one, no less. Right, but, but opposed to them, like, ripping it off, yeah. Yeah, they took it down for IP infringement, not because they want, you know, they're like, oh, no, this is better than us, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, they wouldn't want to be outclassed mm-hmm. for sure. So, if you haven't been playing Mario 35, Kevin, what have you been playing? Hades? I have been playing Apex. No, uh... Well, <laughs> On Switch? I, I, How? <laughs> I have been playing a ton of Apex Legends. I had to take a break last night. I've been playing a lot of Hades. I won't give my full impressions. I'll just give, like, initial impressions because Hades seems like the perfect game to play on Switch, especially mm-hmm. when I don't want to look at my, uh, my monitor anymore. Uh, just have it, you know, while laying in bed. So I'll give my full impressions once the Switch version has cross-save compatibility, which they said should be out by the end of this month. So hopefully, so by basically the next, next episode. Then, <laughs> hopefully by the next episode. You never know with uh, how COVID will delay things. True, true. Um, but yeah, man, this game is a lot of fun and is giving Final Fantasy VII Remake a run for its money as my favorite game of the year. Wow! Really. Damn. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so it's a just really, really quickly, it's a roguelike. Unlike a lot of other roguelikes that I've played, uh, Splunky all, has also come out, and I've been playing a lot of that too. Splunky too. But that roguelike is very just, you know, you're doing multiple runs to, to see if you get to the end to see how high you can get your score. This one is very story based. It's almost like a visual novel. Uh, when you're not doing the the roguelike parts, the the gameplay parts, so mm-hmm. you are playing as Zagreus, the son of Hades, uh, who is just trying to escape the underworld. And so there are multiple weapons that you can choose from that you unlock as you progress, and you're just going through randomly generated rooms, kind of like uh, if you've played Doom, you'll you'll know what these rooms. You're just going into rooms and there's multiple enemies. You clear the enemies and then you can usually take. Uh, You'll go through a door, or you'll pick from two doors, and each door will tell you what the reward will be once you complete that room that, that you go into. And mm-hmm. so it gives you a lot of flexibility of, like, do I want more health, or should I go for a power-up? And so that's essentially how you're building your character. Sometimes you will get builds that are overpowered right from the start. As soon as you enter the the roguelike the roguelike dungeon you will get a power-up and the power-ups are almost always based off the other I, are they greek gods my, i think it's my, greek isn't it all greek themed yeah yeah 
Yeah. I mean, Hades, for one. I mean, Hades. Yeah. Okay, well, okay, yeah. I didn't know if they were Greek or not. But, um, so, like, you'll have uh, Aphrodite as one of the one of the gods who will give you a power-up. And her power-ups usually involve um, getting enemies to become weak so that their attacks aren't uh, don't hit you as hard. There's the god of wine, Dionysus, who will, whenever you punch somebody they'll become drunk and drunk is just a different word of saying poisoned you'll have <laughs> you'll have Ares Ares will just make you much much stronger so and then sometimes you'll get you'll get lame I, I find Aphrodite's uh, her power ups kind of lame considering that obviously you don't want to get a hit so what's even the point of having uh, being able to weaken other enemies Mm-hmm. But regardless, it the art style is very cool. Uh, I'm having a lot of fun with this. Like I said, I've, these are just initial impressions, just because I, I, I still want to play this on Switch. I, I'll save right. my, I'll save the whole, the whole rigmarole for the next episode, hopefully, or maybe I'll just cave in and buy it on Switch, just because feels like a really comfy game to just play in bed late nights. Especially if it's part visual novel. That seems so perfect to, like, curl up with, kind of, like a book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, like I said, I'll get more into the visual novel-ness of it next episode. Right. It sounds promising, and I and everything I've been seeing online is, like, even people that don't like roguelikes are like, oh, this is great. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm it's... very curious to hear what you think of it once, you know, once you have it running on Switch and hopefully for cross-save yeah. and all. Um, very exciting. That's cool. Um, speaking of things that uh, we don't have full impressions of... Angel, you've been playing Pikmin 3 Deluxe, or at least the demo that just came out. So how I mean, how's it compare with the Wii U one so far? Okay, you, you played, past tense. How uh, How is it? I don't know. I mean, it's... I guess it was pretty much what I expected, which is essentially a, a worse version of Pikmin 3 on Wii U. Um, <laughs> okay, next game down. Game. Which is just really unfortunate. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what I was expecting. Like, it's like there's just off right off the bat. Like, by porting over that game to the Switch, you already lose what I would argue are like the most important parts, which is just the really tight control that you get from true IR sensors mm-hmm. and the gamepad, and both of those, both of which were the game was designed around. I mean, I had other grievances with the Pikmin game, but I mean, those don't really matter because going from one to the next, that's not going to change. So me thinking that the game was already a worse version of Pikmin 2 doesn't matter at this point. But, that being said, they do have a lot of other things on paper, because I can't experience those things in the demo, um, that should address some of my issues with Pikmin 3. Mm-hmm. That being that it was way too easy, but probably one of my biggest ones was that there just wasn't enough to do. Mm-hmm. Like, 100%ing the story in Pikmin 3 felt like being halfway through Pikmin 2 because after you complete the whole game you unlock essentially another full campaign right after with harder dungeons new things to collect and you play with a different partner when you get through all of Pikmin 3 nothing happens after and they did add a I think a prologue it was where you play so as a prologue, prologue and an epilogue I believe they're calling them so, I think side stories with Omar and uh, so uh, Louis that could also address what I want but yeah, it's hard to say. So at least at the very least, I'll just talk about at least what I was able to experience firsthand. Yeah. And yeah, like, I mean, for all the praise that gives Pikmin 2, um, moving to Pikmin 3's controls, I definitely, like, love those way more. Like, I 
it was to the point where I was like, oh, I don't want to go back to using a controller to control Pikmin. Because using the pointer was just incredibly fast and accurate, and just it, just, it was extremely intuitive, I guess, maybe the way people feel about using a mouse and keyboard versus a controller and a shooter. And having the gamepad to just like quickly scribble across, zoom in, zoom out, pinch, and scroll through a map was just really fast. And doing it with the controller, it still works, and it's not that slow, it just doesn't feel as great. Also, kind of a minor thing, but, and some people might actually see it as a benefit on the Switch, but, you know, like, the functionality of the gamepad was the, it was supposed to be, like, your tablet device that you're using in your adventure in the game. Mm-hmm. And it accesses your map, it's where you could command um, some of the captains to go out on their own. It's literally, like, like WoW or StarCraft. I mean, not WoW, just straight up normal Warcraft or StarCraft. I like, think that wow, like it's cool. <laughs> I didn't even make the Warcraft no, yeah, like, 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 like wow, look at this. Like more, <laughs> more so than any of the Pikmin. Like Pikmin three definitely almost goes full. Um, I guess RTS is that what StarCraft is considered? Yeah. Because um, yeah. you could literally command your units to like go back to the base while you're doing other things. You can have another unit go and pick off these fruits. So there's actual like management because you have three captains now that can actually split off. And in Pikmin two, they could. But you can never have, like, one will just be standing around while the other one is doing something. They can actually mm-hmm. do work now. And what I kind of liked about the having the gamepad as a separate device is that it kind of added to the immersion as well. Like, it's kind of silly, but, like, I just like that you have this device that you're pretty much using the exact same way that the captains are. So it never really bothered me too much that it was, like, another screen to look at. And, you know, you kind of just have it situated right next to you when you're playing and... I don't know, it just kind of made sense. Kind of the way the backpack in Zombie U worked. I was about to reference that. Yeah, I think, honestly, I don't think it's silly at all that you're saying that. I think one of the few things the Wii U did well with its weird controller set was it did allow for that kind of different type of immersion than what you would get in a game like that. Like, I thought the map was very cool in Pikmin 3 as well. Yeah. Yeah, and because, like, and because it had a lot of functionality, it almost ends up coming off as a little clunky when you're viewing it on the TV. And... I don't know why it feels it just feels like yeah I, I guess kind of clunky to do a lot of these commands like to switch between your captains to command them to do certain things because before you could just like tap on the map you could just like pinch to zoom out and then tap where you want to go mm-hmm. but on this one you have to press you have to press minus first to bring it up you have to make sure the captain is already selected and then you have to like slowly scroll out there's like no you can't set the speed to the zooming in and zooming out. And it's kind of like at a medium pace, but it's like, it's just slow enough to make you go, oh God, I wish this was faster. And <laughs> and, yeah. and, when you're, and when you're like scrolling across the map to set your destination, like that also feels like it takes a little while. It's obviously still faster than, you know, I guess having, picking up your character and having them move there on their own. I mean, having you manually move them, but I guess because I, we literally 100% at Pikmin 3, like, I just see the shortcomings way more than than the benefits. I even tried doing um the using the accelerometer to play with the oh the the new gyro controls they added. Yeah, I tried using the gyro controls, and at first it seemed like oh well, it feels as accurate as using the Wiimote with the IR sensors, mm-hmm. and it was great for a little while. But then, because the other controls aren't fully because you're still holding a singular controller, like it gets really weird really fast. 
I mean, it only works better when you're playing like with the two Joy-Cons separate. With the Pro Controller, it it just feels really weird. It feels kind of like when you're when you're typing your name on the on the PlayStation using the gyro, which kind of works for that, but not like for moving a character and pointing things the other way because it's it's not a great sensation when you're running to the right and you have to point the controller towards the left. Um, mm. And while it works better with the Joy Cons, I find that even like after like a minute or two of playing the game with the gyro, it becomes um, uncalibrated way quicker than you would expect. Like before you know it, you're literally having to point like your your Joy-Con like at a ninety degree angle to the left or right just to be pointing straight. That's so you have, weird. So yeah, like pretty much like if you overshoot every time you overshoot the pointer even a little bit, you're slowly getting it uncalibrated, and over time, like you know, because you're doing like quick motions and right, it only moves so far to one side. So if you go past that barrier, you're slowly like getting it more and more uncalibrated before. You have to recalibrate it again, and because that was never an issue on the Switch, it makes it that much more of a... I don't want to say a deal-breaker, but it makes it that much more glaring now because it suddenly is one. Like, you literally have a problem you didn't have before. Because the control... Because the controls, like... Go ahead. After the first one came out, and we talked about it on the show, like, for as many issues as I had with the difficulty or it not being as fulfilling as the other one, I praised the controls like to high heaven like I love that was like my favorite thing about Pikmin 3 and what made ultimately made me still want them to do more and they gave us like some more DLC that actually did have the challenge I wanted and it was like perfect like at that point it was perfect but then they took away the thing that was perfect in my opinion <laughs> so and they made it usable like by default I think the gyro is on when you're playing normally but I would just recommend turning it off and you just have to just learn to play Pikmin in a new way which kind of sucks. Two questions. One, is the ultra spicy new difficulty, like the one where they dropped the Pikmin count from 100 to 60, is that in the demo? Did you get to try the harder difficulty? Or is it only something you unlock in the final game after playing the demo? I think it's only something you unlock in the final game because after oh, I that's beat the... dumb. Yeah, because I want to try that difficulty to decide whether I want to buy it or not because yeah, it has to give me... Like... Sixty bucks or whatever it's gonna cost isn't worth just the extra content. Like you need a kind of like New Super Mario Brothers or Super Mario 3D World. Like for people that played the heck out of the first one, like they have to give you a reason to replay it or at least like redo the campaign just to at least make it worth that money you're spending. But because we can't play the ultra spicy difficulty, when you beat the the demo, it says you've unlocked it for the full game. I was like, oh, I wanted to play through the demo and see what it changes. Even in, even if it might not change much because it's like a the tutorial area, essentially. Um, yeah, but like, still, I, I'd be going in blind. But yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll, that, obviously, I'll have to wait and see for impressions or other things. Cause, that just seems yeah. short-sighted Nintendo because, like, there is obviously the Wii U isn't, like, moving mountains with sales, but, like, there's a decent number of Wii U owners who maybe would want to double down on Pikmin if Ultra Spicy, which is a great name for difficulty, if it actually is Ultra Spicy, if it actually is as good as Nintendo's, as difficult as the name implies. And to yeah, just kind of leave it out when, like, obviously the majority of people are trying this, they're catering it to people who have never played a Pikmin before to get them interested, especially in light of all the other news of late that got buried under. But 
I think like, could be a just throw a bone to the Wii U owners. It's not that hard to just put the second difficulty in there. Like it's already coded in the final game. Just I don't know. It seems like a weird oversight on their part. Yeah, it'd be disappointing if Ultra Spicy is just like Ultra Spicy for someone like say Jason, but or like it's or like, like mild for Elvis. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Is it's like uh, you know like a uh, fast food level spicy versus what actually is spicy. It's you like it's you, ultra you get, like, spicy. spicy nuggets at like Wendy's and like oh I guess. Because it doesn't even go, like, easy, medium, hard. Like, it's, like, easy, medium, ultra spicy. So it's not like we're talking, like, you have easy, medium, hard in Resident Evil, and then you unlock nightmare mode. Right. Or it's pretty much just devs going, like, yeah, we're literally just pushing the game to its limits. Like, it wasn't meant to be played this way, but you're a masochist, so here you go. <laughs> the The other thing, I said there are two things. So one was the ultra spicy. The other thing is... The contr- the controller thing's kind of a bummer that they couldn't map it there, and I think the the thing I wanted to comment on is just kind of weird that so you're basically stuck with drift no matter how you play if you don't play on Wii U because if you don't have the pointer drift there's Joy-Con drift so I guess you have to use a pro controller is the only way to actually have it play exactly as close to accurate with the controls as you want while still missing the gamepad huh essentially yeah although i never really had an issue with joy con drift luckily yeah i i you know i haven't much either i occasionally when we do torchlight 2 when we play on mondays um I mean, i've had it once or twice there but that might be the game but um yeah no i haven't had it much but i mean the only time it's, i've ever had any kind yeah. of drift is when i'm either too far from the switch itself or i accidentally cover or put like some kind of body part or there's like someone like right in front of the controller which has been proven to just straight up cause interference because yeah. like, I don't know if the Bluetooth signal or whatever is controlling how it's communicating is just really, really weak. But like just moving closer or having a direct line of sight to the console like easily fixes that. That's like pretty much all I've really experienced. Kevin, have you ever had Joy Con Drift happen? Yeah, my joy my current left Joy Con has Joy Con Drift. So oh. now that oh, I think about it, <laughs> I might have to get a new one before I start playing how do you... uh, Hades on it. Ah, uh, yeah, that's annoying. Because you can't even just get one; you have to get the eighty dollars bundle. I think. Oh no, you can get one. Just kidding. I think you can. Um, but yeah, the the main reason like Joy-Con drift popped into my head when you were talking about pointer drift was it's back in the news again because uh, there's a class action lawsuit now, and apparently the lawyers behind the suit claim that Nintendo is arguing that drift quote isn't a real problem or hasn't caused anyone any inconvenience. At least I think that's how the quote went. But um. Yeah, I don't know about that. Like, isn't a problem and hasn't caused inconvenience. I mean, now we have Kevin right here who's saying he might need to buy a new Joy-Con just to play a game mm, properly. That seems if, like inconvenience. I mean, it could have been that Kevin just slipped and dropped the Joy-Con, right? It's possible. Kevin, have you ever slipped and dropped your Joy-Con? Did you take your Joy-Con to the pool and it slipped? you slipped and it fell in the water? There might be some... Well, because I... So one night I got really drunk... <laughs> and my my switch doesn't have a kickstand anymore. Um, Wait, so, but those just pop off. That's not the same. I feel like. Did you well, lose I, the kickstand? Well, I, clearly, I don't have any <laughs> on my switch anymore. I see. So you'll know if this maybe more damage was, maybe, was uh, yeah, incurred. Yeah, for all yeah. for all I know, drunk Kevin but, gets a little wild sometimes. <laughs> but um, I I do. Like I feel like I well one the the law firm that said Nintendo said that isn't Nintendo's law firm. It's the other law firm trying to get people to tell why they have problems to then document them to give to Nintendo. So there's that first of all. But um, secondly, like I I just don't know if uh, 
like that just seems like the, the amount of like stuff that's come out of it like there's now a five million dollar lawsuit by a mother and her son over the joy-con drifting i'm just like really like 80 dollar controllers right do you, what what do you need the other four million nine hundred ninety nine dollars dollars for? Like what happened? Okay, maybe you can argue you want like two hundred dollars in damage, but why do you need five million in damage because of a controller? Like it seems like it's kind of like the narrative's kind of running away. With Where the does one of the buy just one Joy-Con? Because I'm looking. Up. Maybe you do have to buy the bundle. Joy-Con? You might have to yeah. buy the bundle. I might have been wrong. They definitely sold single Joy-Con. Do they? And I, I think it's like what fifty a pop. I think it's fifty for a single, yeah, and then they give you a like bargain a little, at eighty for two. Because it's like ten dollars less to buy them together or something like that. Yeah. So then it's uh, yeah. But um, but even then, like, why why are people suing for five million dollars? Like, what what? <laughs> but um, I think I can yeah, buy them on Nintendo's website. All right. Well. I, I mean, cars just, if you want some different colors, you could always just get an excuse to change up your Switch and get, like, the purple and orange or something. Waluigi. Wow. Let's just let that wah linger for a minute, shall we? No, but, uh, yeah, so was there, so Pikmin 3, I guess, pointer thing aside, that's, I guess we'll see what impressions say, but it's not the uh, greatest hands-on, <laughs> it sounds like, which is just a little disappointing. Because I do think, like, the the takeaway I got... I don't know if you guys watched uh, Nintendo's Treehouse Live presentation this past week. Oh, no. Um, I, I was protesting it as it was going on. Wow. What a... I'm glad you stood up for what you believed in, Angel. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is that you believe in, but I'm glad you stood up for it. Um, but, yeah, I, I was, like... I had it in the background, so I was, like, half watching. But I was really... Um, they do seem like they are putting effort into this port. I mean, the controls are a step down, but you know, you talked about the side missions already. Like they have drop in, drop out, local co op, which is kind of cool. The return of Piclopedia, which remains like one of my favorite parts of Pikmin Two. Just the writing in that, like this, does seem like a genuine effort, which does make it just that much sadder that like you know the controls aren't up to snuff. And uh, as I said when the game first was announced, there's no online for bingo battles. Like. There's just a chance for me to vent again about it. Because, like, if Mario 3D World can add online for its Switch port, I don't see why Pikmin 3 cannot. Mm. And it it's funny because I – that exact same impression of Pikmin 3's Treehouse Live co-star, Hyrule Warriors uh, Age of Calamity, where everything they showed looked like so much effort was being put into having it feel like a true companion to Breath of the Wild. You can, you know, cook and do recipes to buff your character. You can uh, go scale uh, – Sheikah Towers and use that to see a whole map of Hyrule just like in Breath of the Wild even though the game's structured very differently than Breath of the Wild. There are Koroks that are hidden all over levels. Like really I think the only thing they're not mirroring is weapon breaking. Like that's not a mechanic in Age of Calamity. Your weapons are your weapons and that's it. Um, And yet like Pikmin 3, here's an opportunity to make something online. No online multiplayer. Which for I guess Nintendo themed Warriors spinoffs isn't that crazy because I don't think Fire Emblem Warriors had it and I know the original Hyrule Warriors didn't have it. But... For Warriors outside of the Nintendo spinoffs, like for the core Warriors games and other spinoffs in the, that aren't Nintendo, online somewhat standard. And if Nintendo's wanting to like keep people engaged with Switch Online, I feel like having their big flagship holiday game support online like its mainline entries do would have helped. I don't know, especially mm-hmm. now people being more distant. It just seems like kind of a m- missed opportunity. I admit I'm nitpicking about both. Like there's no – they're not required to get us online, but I just found it kind of odd that like – the through line of Treehouse Live for me was look at this cool game, but it's missing uh, online play. And look at this other cool game, but it also doesn't have online hmm. play. 
So, yeah. I mean, I guess it's... I don't know if they even... Like, would that make or break either of those games for you guys? Like, if there was online? Like, if you could do co-op in Pikmin 3... Well, I guess you play with your brother, so probably not for you. But, like, Kevin, like, Hyrule Warriors. Like, if you had a buddy you could play online with, would you buy it for that? Mm. Am I just being crazy? I think you're just being crazy, as always. Okay, fair. You know what? One thing I'm not crazy about, though, is they are definitely treating online weird. Like, whatever the logical lo- mindset Nintendo's doing, Capcom's now hopping on, too, because... uh Here's a weird one. Monster Hunter Rise will not in any way, shape, or form have voice chat. Which is um, oh, no. a mean, little weird. Whatever well, I know, will they can, do? I know. I mean, you can, like... Use Discord or Use something. Discord. You can use Facebook Venture. Obviously, Angel, when you and I play online, we use those. But I'm just thinking, Smash like... Smash Brothers technically have voice... Uh, yeah, it... it you can communicate through voice online, but I mean, we still use Discord. I, that, if anything, that seems like a plus. Like, just don't waste your time. Well, that's my point. It it's not a waste of time. They just hook into the Switch Online app. The technology's there. They're saying yeah, but who's they the can't comment the on hardware. Yeah, but who's have you I, use that? Have you just seen a game that uses the Switch Online voice features? Well, and I'm well, I, that. I guess what I'm saying is, all, didn't the other Monster Hunters have online voice chat on Nintendo platforms? I guess so, I like, did, but no one would ever use it. Alright, I guess if they have data Every, showing that no one uses it, but it just seems like... Because a few times yeah. I played with voice with some friends, we would always just use Discord or something else. Even if the so game maybe, offered Maybe it. they're just assuming that, but I don't know, it just seems like a weird... Like, the, the app's right there. I know a lot of people don't use it, but Nintendo keeps saying they want bulk up Switch Online. Have your games, that are your flagship games that you're co-marketing, be at least compatible with your Give app. Give us like, some weapon tracking weird. or something, I don't know. Or something like I mean, do you, I honestly, I I'll be honest. I do use the Switch Online app for one thing. I use it when we're playing Splatoon, Angel. When you and I are playing Splatoon, I have more often than not checked that thing to see the map and stage rotation. I mean, the map and mode rotation. Um, yeah, see, that's, but that's the only thing I use it a for. Purpose. Yeah, so like, why can't Monster Hunter use it for something? It just seems I don't know. Another kind of weird decision, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um, I feel like this. Unless you guys said anything else you want to talk about with what we're playing, I feel like this does kind of bring us to the news portion of the show. We've been kind of drifting that way for a bit here. Um, and the news has its own kind of through line, separate from the online woes. Uh, the past couple of weeks, I feel like a lot of the news has centered around one big thing, which is DLC. Like, we should, like, it's not even news, it's just like a DLC digest. Like, all the news is DLC this episode. And the biggest of the bunch, the place we've really got to start, is, of course, uh, the Seventh Fighter Pass character for Smash Bros. Ultimate. Half of our episode's namesake, uh, Minecraft Steve and Alex. Angel, you're the Smash expert. What was your initial gut reaction to it? Um, it was definitely more of a, like, whoa, they actually did it. Those mo- oh, Yeah, I was about to have to censor myself. Um, those crazy <laughs> Sons of Guns actually did it. Um, I Sons of Guns. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I, I played a lot of Minecraft since it first came out, like, almost 10 years ago with my brother when it was still like in beta so mm-hmm. we have like a long history with it so he always seemed like someone i would like to see them try to put in because of how weird he would be and he is as weird and as interesting as i thought he would be so i'm personally very excited just to check him out what about you kevin as someone that's just kind of adjacent to all of it was this was this one of the ones that was of more interest or less interest to you me eh. <laughs> i've 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 never wanted to see minecraft steve in smash and now he's in there and before i'm sure i would have hated it now it's just i don't care 
you just whatever. Put whoever I, you want in there. But uh, I Michael mean, Joker Fox from there. American Werewolf. If he can make it, then yeah. Oh, team, team Wolf, my bad. Just put it in there. <laughs> I, right, um, I I do think because I feel like or yeah, go ahead. Like besides um, of all the DLC characters that I've gotten so far, like. Minecraft, I mean, well, I feel he's one of those that just, like, makes a lot of sense because he's already had, like, a pretty... Minecraft in general had a huge presence on Nintendo. Like, yes. being one of the best-selling games on the Switch, having a special edition 3DS like, made for it, or 2DS. Having Mario in it. Yeah, having its own Mario edition. Like, that one, like... Like, I could see... It's almost like, like oh, I'm surprised this game wasn't put in sooner or was put in after some other characters. Like, as interesting of a pick and as awesome as a precedent is set for the rest of the DLC, for better or for worse, looking at you by this. Um, like, Joker's <laughs> first reveal and general inclusion was one, like, shocking because it, it was, like, a crazy third party, but also because him and Cloud specifically feel like and uh, Snake, you kind of argue, because uh, he has had some, you know, twin snakes and whatnot. But both of those characters in particular feel like they have no business being in Smash Brothers whatsoever. Like, they definitely feel like they were just kind of there to be shockers. The other ones, right, well, I feel, have like... Out. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean... Slander. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. No, you're you're absolutely right. You're. I don't understand why Joker is in Smash. It, there's very loose connections there. You could argue, oh, there's a Persona game that Joker's been in on 3DS, but it's not even like a mainline Persona game. Yeah, like everyone else. The like only that. Persona game we are getting on the Switch is a spinoff. Yeah, it like definitely. Like, 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 like I feel like everyone else, like at least, has some kind of like legacy with it. And like actually, going back to Snake, going from like you could argue, but now I'm, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, oh wait, no, like he literally started on the NES, and you know he had like that upbringing there, and you know like. King of Fighters, Terry, I mean, they, uh, they he was kind of there, not really, but I mean, I guess all those, like, hamster games, I, I don't, he, he feels as important, I guess, as, like, Ken and Ryu, but, yeah, like, there's, I don't know, Minecraft, I, I could see why a lot of people are upset, but I feel like that's mainly just because it's, like, a newer game that is very mm-hmm. polarizing, not because it's controversial or anything, but because you either love it or you don't or you don't care about it, which, but yeah, you could say that about a lot of games here, but more so because like, because it's so popular that a lot of kids like it, it almost kind of gave it a, almost like a very, like, I don't know, like early 2000 Nintendo view of it where people were like, Oh, it's for kids for babies. I don't know if that's true for a lot of things, but. And I think to your point, I think like, yeah, there's an interesting reaction to it. Well, first of all, the way it was announced was kind of strange. Like they haven't even like locked in. You think by now they'd have a format for how they announce these things. But this time they did like a three minute reveal video, which essentially broke Twitter. Like literally Twitter stopped working when it happened. And then they did for about, I don't know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And then they did like a 45 minute deep dive like four days later. But it was interesting to see even like when it was revealed in the initial reaction, how people reacted four days later and how people are acting online. There is a lot of like – I think Kevin's reaction of like – and not for me is one thing, but a lot of people are like, how dare they? Like this is like not gaming history. But I, I think you're right, Andrew. Like Minecraft is huge. I mean it 
you mentioned it's one of the best sellers on Switch. It was the number one selling Wii U game in Japan. Isn't it the best selling game higher period? Than, like, uh, it is. Yeah, but, uh, but, yeah, it is. It's 200 million copies sold or something like that. Back in May, Microsoft was saying like there's 126 million people playing it every single month, which is crazy. But like the fact that it was so big even on Nintendo platforms, even in Japan, just makes it kind of a no-brainer. If like I don't really get the whole oh, like it's too modern, it's for kids. It's like have you looked at half a Nintendo's lineup? And this game has pretty much become. I mean, it's on every platform, but it's they've been very close with Nintendo. Like they were apparently working on this deal to get Minecraft into Smash for at least five years. That's according to a former biz dev guy from uh, Mojang, the you know the studio that actually makes yeah, Minecraft. Kind of crazy. So, like, it's not, like, everyone that's just like, oh, this is stupid. Like, it's one thing to not care because you don't care about Minecraft, but to outright be like, how dare they? Why didn't they put, like, I wanted, you know, like, the unicycle from Uniracers. It's like, well, sure, but this is, like, if Smash is a gaming celebration, which is what it somehow turned into, um, it used to be a Nintendo celebration that kind of expanded with Joker and Snake and all that. Um, this is the peak of gaming. Like, this makes the most sense. If you're going to have everyone from gaming, if you're going to do everyone is here, you can't do it without... Steve, I guess. Yeah, but um, I mean, yeah, like, it, it like, makes so, it, so much sense. Like the um, the pushback, I guess they kind of got or the disappointment they got from Byleth review. I feel that one's way more warranted. Yeah, this yeah. one feels like it. I don't know people need to take a step back, and also, you know, with this, this is like what eighty-two characters now. Um, seventy-seven. I think. I think. I think Steve and Alex are technically considered number seventy-seven. Ah. Oh, yeah, I think I'm counting the total after they're all released, the yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's 77 characters, and, like, it's at this point, it's guaranteed to say that even before Alex or Steve, there was definitely a character reveal that any person that was getting angry over had already freaked out to. Like, not... It's a, There's no way there's going to be a single person that is going to be completely familiar and in love with every single one of these characters. Exactly. Like, it doesn't even make sense, like, just, just from pure aging and interest wise like they're the gamut of genres that smash brothers and companies is just really big like you have people that grew up in the 80s and 90s that are going to be going crazy for people like terry and banjo or whatever mm-hmm. but then like they're probably too busy or just like have other interests that they wouldn't touch minecraft so to them it's like i mean that's probably they're feeling now how probably like the kids at the elementary school used to work at would be when I guess Terry's a good example. Like, Terry or Joker, when they got announced, like, they're literally like, who are these guys? And then they look at the game, and they'll probably even think it looks boring. But, and, you know. And, the, the, and that's the thing is, like, I I feel like at some level, take it at face value for what it is. Because, like, the thing, um, the thing I love about Smash, at least, and I tweeted something to this effect at the time, is that it's both this, like, kind of celebration of gaming in every way and simultaneously this weird game with a wacky sense of humor. And, like, even if you don't care about Minecraft, you can't deny how wacky and different and like out there and new to smash what they're doing with steve and alex and their crafting system really is like you know they're these low-res voxel man and woman who like eat steak and like barely animate and they're giving as much love and attention by the dev team you know to make these really unique fighters as anyone else in the game it's not like this is just a quick cash in like they are being integrated in even if visually they stick out like a sore thumb which they do. I'd say they're very reminiscent of, like, Mr. Game & Watch, actually, where, you know, like, every other character has kind of the same art style except G- Game & Watch and now Steve and Alex. Like, they kind of really stick out. Um, but, like, even then, they're giving so much attention and so many new gameplay mechanics and a, a stage that's actually six stages with, like, blocks you 
break to make platforms appear. Like they're really putting effort into like giving you something new in Smash Bros. So if you don't care about Minecraft, just think about the gameplay mechanics that come with it and how that changes the fighting styles and how that can change what you do. Like it's just there's so many ways to look at this that aren't just harumph out like Minecraft, you know? Yeah, I'll definitely hold off on giving impressions on what his fighting style is until after he comes out because right now you know it's too easy to go off the rails and to think that he might be too ridiculous also the things we would want to know the most at least competitive players they haven't answered or they haven't shown right so i mean it comes out on tuesday like at this point might as well wait i do think though that it is really interesting that they like we don't need to go into an agree of like what you know like is uh you know, is spawning blocks all over the stage going to be OP or not? Like, who knows? You know, is the down BTNT going to be, like, bad, good? Who knows? That seems more balanced, though. But, like, I do think the idea that they brought in the mining system and actually, like, went back and retrofitted every stage to have the different materials mined. You know, you sit there and you press B and you're mining stuff. And depending on where you are, you mine wood, you mine clay, you mine um, iron, you mine uh, diamond, you know, all that stuff the way they're doing it is really like intricate like there's a lot here and how he has his little table and you can like summon the table or people can blow up the table like all that it's really interesting how they're basically building a whole new layer yeah, yeah. I, I do love that they the character becomes better the more you mind you literally have to basically play minecraft yeah which, in the middle of a smash Bros. Which, which is just a testament to just a lot of these like designers even not just for smash brothers but like something like that reminded well when I saw like Steve's presentation it just kind of reminded me of when Phoenix Wright was announced for Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 and how like he he does revolve around like his trial system he actually has to collect evidence there is bad evidence and good evidence you have to get rid of the bad evidence and once you have three pieces of good evidence you have to throw out a hold it I mean an objection at your opponent once you have the three and then once you enter that you pretty much turn into like god mode and you have like a giant finger that you're pointing and it gives you access to like your ultimate move which is taking them to trial mm-hmm. but yeah so this is reminding me of that level of creativity it's really cool yeah and i see. think like and i you know honestly because you're saying like no one definitely makes min min look very bland i mean like i know like they put a lot of effort into like designing min min to be true to her game but her game's just uh, more bland <laughs> yeah it just doesn't yeah. help that like six of her attacks look the same yeah and and like and like I think you're saying, people really don't really know the strategies yet. I think like that alone is kind of like should be intriguing and interesting, even to the diehard players. Like just like, well, what where are these mechanics gonna mean? Because like the only thing I got to, I took away after watching 45 minutes of Sakurai do his usual shtick, where he he's such a charming anti corporate fellow, isn't he? With his little shtick, pulling amiibo out of nowhere, making cracks about being alone. But anyway, <laughs> telling people um, to play Xbox. Telling people to play Xbox, telling people I'm only doing this because Nintendo asked me, but like I did it, you know, basically like throwing his bosses under a bus. Anyway, um, the only thing I really got from that presentation was okay, so that down air where you drop an anvil, that's basically Kirby's stone transformation. I know how to spam that like crazy. I guess that's my move. Like I literally don't, I can't even begin to figure out how to use some of the other stuff because it's so different. And I feel like that alone should cancel out any negativity about Minecraft just because it's, like I was saying before, it's really shaking up potentially how smash is played at least in the short term and that should be if nothing else refreshing i don't know but that's just me i I do think we should really really emphasize though like the amount of and and to be fair you're saying min min they didn't do much but like the amount of effort they put into all they didn't i said that even though it seems like they didn't do much or i'm sure they did put a lot of attention like it just wasn't yeah it it, it is it makes it makes min min look plain and 
not as interesting by comparison. And it is really hard to fight with this because I mean, like, but every, the last like two, I was I saying, mean, every was, stage it, in this literally well, follows Byleth and Minmin. Like, so well, maybe that's why those two were more ho hum because they needed all the effort. Because I mean, like, every stage in the game is updated. Like I said, the crafting system, you know, works across all what seventy stages, over a hundred, like, over a hundred, right? Uh, the fan service, the attention to detail, like you know, the final smash, like. The, the bed animation when you're put to sleep. Kirby being square and not have to re-render a square Kirby. Like, the stages... Like, I don't know if you... I guess you saw the presentation, but obviously, but... I the Minecraft how World Kirby, stage, though, because if B what? is mine, you just find stuff? I don't know. I, I don't know, what... yeah. And that's another one that's going to be interesting, but... Like, also, just, like, the stage. I mean, when Sakurai zoomed in on one of the village houses, it was like, look, the villagers sleeping inside. You will never see this, but there they are. It's like, the amount of attention to detail is just crazy. So, um, yeah, I'm very, very excited to try uh, Steve on Tuesday. Obviously, I'm not a very good Smash Bros. player. I'm not expecting to get a meaningful takeaways, but just to mess with this new mechanic of being able to build blocks and kind of set up platforms for yourself and things like that, like, it's really... should be interesting. should be fun. Um, I imagine, Angel, you're going to look at it from a more competitive angle and, you know, see if there's actually any viability in this guy long-term. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, but the the other Smash news of note is that um, besides the fact that we're getting three amiibo, including Banjo Kazooie next year, um, they once again oh, introduced. Oh, I got my uh, I got my Joker amiibo. Oh, how is it? It's it looks awesome. Uh, the yeah. blue flames coming out of uh, Joker's feet is really really well done. I wish I could show you guys, but for whatever reason, I can't turn on my webcam. That's odd. Yeah. I mean, well, oh, well. it. You know what's really nice though is wait, it is working. I can see you. Oh, there, there you are. Okay. Let me turn on Hold mine, on. and we're going to we're gonna have to describe in audio form what we're seeing. Why are you turning yours on, Jason? We don't I'm not you. meaning to. I don't know. You guys got to see Ooh. my crazy hair. The fire does look cool. Uh, I'm turning mine off. There we go. Oh, I see it. Yeah, that's a nice amiibo. Definitely makes some that, of the earlier amiibo so... look. Bad. That's what I was gonna yeah. say. Is you can really see, and you could see it with like when when Sakurai pulled out like Banjo Kazooie and Terry and. Uh, Byleth. You could see like the amount of detail that they're able to get into these little figurines now versus, you know, like when they launched in twenty fifteen or whatever. It's crazy how much better they are at them now. Yeah. Like it's like night and day. If you put them side by side, they look like you know, like how like action figures in the eighties look versus like action figures from the last like ten years. It's like that. Like it's such a noticeable difference. But uh besides the amiibo. Uh, they also announced uh, some new collaborations with the 75 cents a pop Mii Fighter costumes. And uh, I would say after many rounds of DLC where honestly the Mii Fighters seem more interesting than the main characters, I think they've settled down a bit. Like there's some Minecraft skins for Creepers and Pigs. There's a uh, Tower Druaga collaboration. That's I think pretty funny. Pronounce it. And yeah, it does. And then uh, there's two that ruffled some feathers I wanted to touch on. One is Bomberman and the other is Travis Touchdown. Now, personally, Barman ruffled my feathers because I was bummed. Barman looks cool. Barman looks great, but I was bummed that he's only a uh, skin. Like, I think he could have made a great fighter in and of himself. I mean, obviously, all his moves have I to involve so, bombs. But... but I don't know. Like, I feel like you can use his power-ups. Like, the speed skates that speed him up in the Nor game could become some sort of, like, dash move. Like, he has moves from, like, Barman 64. Like, he had the remote control bomb, and he has, like, you know, the poison thing where you just drop bombs constantly. He could have done, like, chains of bombs. I feel like, like he'd be in the B2 one note, like, Min Min. I'm definitely glad he's not a character. I don't know. I mean, like, if Captain but Falcon, who just drives a car in his ways. main game, can be turned into someone cool, I feel like they could have done it with Bomberman. And, and I think you vouching for Bomberman, it's kind of like, 
<laughs> validates my Wow. <laughs> okay. I see how it is. But I, I don't know. Like, it just... I feel like even Sakurai was kind of like, we could have done more with him. Like, try this X-Bomb-only battle if you want something more Barman-y. It's just like... <sighs> like, I mean, there's I, such, I, such I, potential I, there. He's a really cool assist trophy, though. I'll give him that. Yeah, and, he, and the silver lining for some folks out there is that Barman is the first character to claim... Uh, to have the claim of fame of being both an assist trophy and a skin as a me fighter, which now opens the door to Waluigi appearing twice, which I'm sure will make some people happy. So no, there's Waluigi's that. Never. I know. Oh man, I, I bet. No, now that I think about it, Waluigi's going to be the last. He's going to be the bonus the one, right? Fight. Yeah, because they yeah. they announced they're going to do one extra. It's going to be Waluigi. I mean, again, I know I've said it on the show before, but again, when the Washington Post does a big story of Waluigi not being in Smash and how upset everyone is, the Washington Post does that, then he's got to show up eventually. Like, that's, that's too the mainstream Washington to Post ignore. Washington Post have, like, contributors, though, that aren't actually... That's, uh, I think that's Forbes, what you're thinking of. Hmm. Uh, okay. I, think Wa- I think Washington Post, it's all their own team. Like, it was in the newspaper, like, physically. It wasn't just on the website, I think. Um, yeah, so we'll see. But that, that does bring me to the other one. That I think, like, this one I didn't mind much, but I feel like other people I saw online, a lot of people were kind of bummed, is Travis Touchdown is only a me fighter. Um, which I know, Angel, after we talked about the presentation, you actually are kind of okay with that. Oh, yeah. Is it, I, he's just is it just sword? because he'd be another swordsman? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's kind of odd, though, is uh, his crossover was not No More Heroes, it was just his name. It just said Travis. Like, I'm not sure what's up with that. That's a little weird. Is any from Travis Travis Strikes Back or something? Well, I mean, he's because the jacket Travis, wasn't the same red one; it was like some purple one. Maybe I guess because Travis Strikes Back is a No More Heroes spinoff, so the parent franchise is still No More Heroes. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the same reason but, we got Altair or whatever instead of Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed. Yeah, true, true. All right, I'll give you that. But yeah, I know, um, I know that. Like, a lot of people were kind of gunning for Travis to be a character, to the point that uh, Suda51 actually commented on it with a big, like, I cannot comment one way or another sort of thing, which was, I guess, a hint of this, uh, the me fire, because this was like a week ago he said that. But, yeah. So that's, unless you guys anything else had anything else, that's Smash. Yep. Um, but Smash wasn't the only game in town with new fires to announce. You mentioned it earlier when talking about Rambo, but Mortal Kombat 11's been doing similar, where they, you know, right down to the idea of taking characters outside its world and adding them to the roster. So Smash has also been doing it with video game characters, uh, going even beyond Nintendo, but Mortal Kombat, as evident by Rambo, and Terminator, and Robocop, and Spawn, and Joker are doing other mediums. They're taking movies, TV, comics, and yeah, it was this new yeah, combo this pack. Mortal Kombat 9, like, they've definitely... Yeah. I mean, at first it's just like it was going to be like like horror movie characters because I think the first one they did was like Freddy Krueger, which makes and, more and sense for violence. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, and so they did Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the Alien mm-hmm. Predator. I think is also the character. I think he was in ten. Yes, in fact, right. yeah, yeah, and uh, so for those who are curious, Rambo comes out next month in the combo. Ooh, Jason pack. was also a character. I was. It's true. The cool Jason. Though. Yeah, me. Yep. The no. good Jason. Yep, me. Yep. Nope. Yep. I had that mask on one Halloween, just so you know. But, um, yeah, this will be out next month for anyone who does want to check it out in the Wait, combo did you just pack confirm yourself spelled with, like a murderer? Spelled with a K. I'm just going to ignore that. I didn't murder anyone. What are you talking about? But, uh, yeah, combo pack spelled with a K. Uh, but, yeah, so Rambo. I feel like, Angel, you in particular are a big consumer of a lot of the content these guest characters are coming from. 
because like you've you know obviously they have the comic book stuff with Joker and they spawn maybe less so but like you've been on an 80s movie kick you just watched Rambo recently didn't you so yeah, a couple months ago so like what movie. how do what's your take on them doing on like introducing these sorts of characters into a game like this uh, I mean Terminator kind of made sense I thought that, I mean I thought that was cool Rambo seems kind of random like I mean he mm-hmm. is a pretty I mean when he's in this killing spree mode he definitely is pretty ruthless and I could see him fitting in that sense but he definitely kind of felt out of place like it felt like oh they could have picked someone that I don't know kind of mesh with Mortal Kombat more like I felt like Chucky would have been cool or some other mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. like classic horror movie villain but yeah Rambo definitely feels more out of place than I would say Rob- even Robocop kind of felt a little out of place but still yeah. cool to see but yeah what, I don't know what about you Kevin how are you kind of are you big on Mortal Kombat or any of these characters like how did, does this move the needle for you at no. all you're just like watching the trailer and that's it yeah <laughs> uh, no not really I I tried to get into Mortal Kombat 9 but I just I'm really bad at that game I'm I'm much better at anime fighters than I am to like western fighters like Mortal Kombat or hmm. what well I guess no I guess I'm more into anime fighters than than like traditional fighters like Street Fighter so when you say yeah, anime those, fighters those do you mean like arena fighters or Blaze just Blue, oh uh, Guilty Gear Guilty Gear anything by Arx- Arxis honestly so really you're into Arc System work fighters <laughs> pretty much <laughs> not yeah. so much anime <laughs> yeah yeah, it's uh yeah, the reason I was asking is because I'm kinda curious and I think Angel was sort of moving in this direction of like with Smash, you know, we were talking about like what essentially what qualifies a character, right? And it boiled down to, you know, their up to a point it was their Nintendo presence and it just became kinda like gaming in general. And I feel like Mortal Kombat with Rambo and Robocop in particular are like I don't know if they're just like doing a grab bag of eighties icons or what, but it feels like they do start to feel a little out of place. Like Kotaku had this interesting article up, um, the other day about how and i don't know if i go this far as how they word it but they're basically saying it cheapens the character's legacies which like we'll link to it for anyone who wants to read it and you know we'll have it in the blog post i don't know if i go that far but it is odd that these characters of robocop and rambo particularly rambo like they are violent in their movies but they don't want to be like it's a last resort kind of like you know in rambo if i remember correctly i mean andrew you just you know you saw a few months ago he kind of resents the violence he did, and he, especially when he kills the one guy the one time in the first movie, right? Like, it's not like he's, like, uh, out he, there being like, I'm gonna, like, like, it's about PTSD in a way, isn't it? I mean, he doesn't of, show that regret. It was just more like, uh, I warned you, and now people are dying. But, mm. uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, because, I mean, the whole, like, first half of the movie, he's literally just, like, minding his own, his own business, trying to get through a town, and like, the police are just giving him a really hard time, like, aggressively so, like, to the point that they start, like, um, they throw him in jail, they, they start kind of, like, you know, throwing water at him, like, kind of, like, they trigger his, they trigger his PTSD, because it kind of reminded him of the torture he felt in Vietnam, and that sent him on his survival mode, and, yeah, so, and then, obviously, they get the help from some chief that knew Rambo, and they're like, yeah, you don't want to mess with this guy, you don't want to trigger his PTSD, Right, and, and I, I guess, and I guess the one I relate to more, having actually watched it with you, Angel, is uh, RoboCop, because like, obviously in RoboCop, the the whole premise is like he over the top violence, but yeah, it's over the top violence, but like, I mean, the dude was put into his robot suit 
against his will and then he was programmed to be violent and then the movie's him struggling with his morality about being violent essentially and then like I feel like Mortal Kombat's a game where it's like the most ruthless killing the most aggressive like they're all here to kill and they love to kill and it's just like these two characters kind of don't like they do kill a lot but like it seems I don't know it just seems kind of it's a small thing it's a small nitpick but it just is something that like as they keep announcing them I keep going like that does, like Joker makes sense. He's an agent of chaos. Like Spawn, he's this hellborn thing. Sure, like it seems like we're moving more and more into just people that happen to kill a lot now. Like I don't know. It seems like it. I don't know. Maybe it's also because their legacies themselves, their own franchises, have made them become more like just generic killing machines. But like the early form of these characters, I feel like wasn't quite so like I'm gonna rip your spine out and then eat your brain, which is like what Mortal Kombat's all about. So it's just it just kind of butts heads, I guess. But it it feels like a cash grab. I guess is what I'm really saying, but um, I don't know. Maybe I'm overreading it. Or I yeah. need to. No, it seems fair. I mean, they, there's plenty of, you know, like I kept saying, horror movie villains that they could have picked from. But I kind of like going back to Joker. Like it feels more like these are more headline grabbers than anything. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't help that like the entire thing's leaked too. So like, if you really want to know just oh, yeah, down true. this rabbit hole, they're gonna go. That's another contrast from smash smash everyone's surprised at once moral combat i think the list has been out there for like ever <laughs> a long time yeah yeah so it kind of takes some of the so like if they're doing it for shock and awe and to get like you know just big name headlines that would work if it wasn't leaked but granted you're not going to stop your product because something got leaked but it just isn't helping their case yeah but um yeah so that, that that's all i want to say about moral combat i just thought it was kind of interesting that they're doing this especially in contrast with smash because they announced them like two days apart so, like, it, Smash gets all the headlines, like, the real, like, big, like, trending topics on Twitter, break Twitter, that sort of thing. But Mortal Kombat's doing some crazy stuff, too, in its own little corner over there. And it's selling really well, too. I mean, Smash is a 20 million star, which is crazy, but Mortal Kombat's at, like, 8 million or something, which is, I think, the best-selling Mortal Kombat yet. So, it's definitely trucking along. Um, I thought they weren't even going to get any more characters after the Complete Edition came out, because that added two characters, I believe. I forgot who they were. But then we get like a combat pack with three more characters oh yeah it's not really clear i guess i don't know i guess what the release schedule looks like part, but part of me is i do like the, or go ahead nothing i do like though that i don't know i mean I, I like the smash reveals as well but i do think i prefer how nether realms have been revealing characters in general usually they'll do like one trailer that shows off all the characters mm. like mm-hmm like they had a trailer that revealed or it showed off um Adam um the that crazy witch lady from the suicide squad I forgot her name oh uh, I've li- uh, we literally discussed this me your brother and a couple of friends we forgot her name uh hold on we're not continuing this podcast until I remember her name <laughs> oh I, I just remembered it what is it oh, wait, enchantress oh, yeah there you go Ah, well done. I had no idea. Such terrible. I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> you haven't seen the movie? I have seen the movie, and I couldn't remember her. That's how that should say all I need to say about the movie. Don't remember anything about it. <laughs> Man, that movie's so bad. Yeah, I could, it's not. I could do a whole two hours on why that movie is garbage. Tune in next week to Quarantine Chronicles number twelve for Kevin's two-hour rant about Suicide Squad. I, I actually would like to hear because I have thoughts too. Now that I think about it, I only remember the first half of the movie, but I, I did not it. like it. But we'll see. Uh, but yeah, though, um, they had a trailer that had Adam and Enchantress, and I believe they also had, I forgot who else was also revealed in that pack. 
but then it ends with like the Ninja Turtles coming out and then they just show like all the characters right there and none of them were out at that point yet but it showed you everything that was going to be released and then like every couple months they would release like an extended like life like live stream of how that character works and then release it a few days later so basically what Sakurai did so basically what Sakurai does except they would have one great like one really awesome trailer in the beginning that shows off everyone that's coming out Mm. that way you know like since you're getting it all at once there might be some people you're not as excited about but since there's usually one person that you're crazy about like whoever probably hates Ninja Turtles might have been super excited for Hellboy because this is Injustice 2 by the way and yeah so you know or in the case of you like like for Smash Brothers like a lot of people were disappointed with Byleth but if you just saw like one trailer that had like maybe started with like Byleth and I don't know uh, hero fighting and then uh, Joker intervenes or something then it was like Banjo and like Terry or something like I feel like that would make it I mean, not only would it still be, like, a crazy big deal that some of these characters are showing up, but the ones that aren't as keen on Byleth will be like, well, we still got all these other ones instead of, oh, this is their closer. This is, like, what it was all building up to. But Right. Or in the case of you with Ninja Turtles, I remember we were recording an episode right after that, so I was coming over. Like, it was within, like, 20 minutes of the trailer debuting, and you were – I've never seen you so giddy or excited about anything in your life. Like, you were so, like, gobsmacked about the Ninja Turtles because it, taught, it caught you so off guard. Like, you are just – I think I walked in. You were playing it on loop at that point. And then you were just like, yeah, it was the most excited I've ever seen you about anything, I think. And I never touched them. <laughs> I don't know if that's – wow, that's – you never tried them at all? Not even on, like, Elvis's copy? Not even once. Wow. Interesting. The, the game was already too – like – Initially, it did make me want to play the game, but then, you know, as months pass and you see the game's meta develop, and it, it, it kind of feels like it's, like, too late at that point, because mm-hmm. a lot of, like, more traditional, well, actually, I don't know, I guess I can't really say that since I don't know what it's like to have not picked up Smash Brothers and how long it would take to actually get to, I guess, what could be considered a competitive level, but... I just think for me, it felt like it was too late to get into Mortal Kombat at that point, and I would just like appreciate it from afar. So I watched people play as Ninja Turtles, but it definitely felt did. like, yeah, it, it felt like it was too late to get into it. There is a I humble bundle. There is a humble. There is a humble bundle out right now that I think if you pay four dollars, you get Injustice Two, Nidhogg, Stick Fighters, and like four other like combat related game so for pc so i may try that since i have a nice pc maybe play mortal kombat on there and just play single player but we'll see Kevin, you're no, gonna say something? i was telling your i was telling your brother yesterday that so there are some days where i feel like just going on sort of blackout not talk to any friends not play any video games not watch any movies and just tr- and just practice Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> so I can you should uh, you should just master the Minecraft characters. No, you should Steven master Alex. Joker or like, Joker. It, if you yeah. master Joker, you would definitely be like you could probably like kick our butts all the time because he's just a really good character. He's very oh, yeah. like agile feeling Joker. Yeah, he's definitely on the more advanced spectrum. Like a lot of inputs per second, you have to do a lot of short hop up barriers so that he like pulls people down so that you could like do him back up he has like a lot of little cool little loops but 
Yeah. And he has a really colorful stage. He has one of my favorite stages, just in design. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But I guess there... Unless you guys have something else on this topic, there is one more piece of DLC news to get to. Um, Oh? Oh, yeah. And it's raising its own set of questions, too, and that is uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield's Crown Tundra expansion, which we knew was coming, but Nintendo and the Pokemon Company, um, they did a video presentation, I guess, like 10 days ago now, and they revealed some final details and a launch date. It's coming October 22nd, and then they ended the whole presentation with a music video for some reason. I don't really know why, but it was a fully animated one. It was nicely done. It had some references to red and blue and stuff, but it was very random. Uh, But yeah, so DLC is mostly what we already knew. Uh, Using what's now dubbed as Dynamax Adventures, you and your friends are going to be able to go string together multiple raids. You can raid regular Pokemon. You can raid legendary Pokemon. And it borrows a mechanic from Pokemon Stadium and Battle Revolution in that you can actually set up a team of rental Pokemon to do this with. And they're pairing that with an entirely new feature they just announced called the uh, Galarian Star Tournament, where you'll be able to go into team battles against trainers you encountered in the base game with your friends. And I swear, Angel, you have corrupted how I look at Pokemon because, like, instead of seeing these for what they are, which is like a sort of diet MMO that, if nothing else, is kind of just further mainlining the Pokemon Go spinoff concept, you know, like, of raids and now bringing that into the main thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm seeing this as just instead being shy of what you want which is a Pokemon battle simulator. Like, I'm looking at this, like, it's 75% of the way there. You got the rental Pokemon. You got the strictly battles with no fluff. They're adding this new item called uh, Ability Patch that lets you change a Pokemon's ability to its hidden ability. Like, the only catch... Yeah. Yeah, the only catch is its multiplayer emphasis, its Dynamaxing emphasis, and I feel like that is keeping it short of being what you actually would want in a battle simulator. But otherwise, they're so close. Am I wrong? Am I right? Well, yeah, I mean... Battle Simulator would just be you get to make the Pokemon however you want. That way you could just test them out and know whether it's worth investing a lot, a lot of hours into breeding the perfect one. But, yeah, I don't know if we're ever going to get that. Yeah. I, I did say also that... The I mean, there's DLC... plenty of tools for that, but I just want it done officially. Right, right. and I, I, which, which leads to actually this next question, because, you know, I did say DLC raises some questions, and believe it or not, it wasn't just, is this your Battle Simulator? Um... These are a bit more abstractive questions, but, like, where is – so they're finishing the expansion pack now, right? The pass is done. Like, where – so where is Pokemon going next? Where where do they go from here in general? Like, what is – there. Hold your horses. I know. Like, the like, expansion well, hasn't even come out. And you're no, I know, but, like – going next? Uh, yeah, I sure am. Cause like, soak it in. <laughs> but, no, like, the, the thing is, like, the Pokemon – company pretty much upended their flow of usual game releases like the expansion pass of you know isle of armor and crown tundra are as i think we discussed when they were first announced basically the equivalent of the third version and like especially now with the start uh star tournament thing that's basically the battle tower that's been in like half the third versions like straight up and as we predicted at the time they are going to be selling a complete edition of the game this holiday season to kind of juice the overall sword and shield sales so for 90 bucks you get sword or shield with their corresponding expansion pass um no it's exactly the same price but it's all on the cartridge you don't need to download anything you don't need to use up memory and they're gonna give you a hundred free pokeballs because those are just you know they're just the type of guys doesn't seem enticing (laughs) well if you if you don't own any of it yet it's an easy way to just get it all if it was discounted like say it cost 70 or 50 or 40 yeah. Or ten. Make it free to play. 
and just charge for each Pokeball. Oh God! So basically, make it Pokemon Go. Yeah. Yeah, that's not. But but the 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 real the. I don't think that's gonna happen. But the thing that is happening is they're doing this thing, this bundle. But what's kind of noteworthy to me is they're not calling it a complete edition. They're not calling it like the full game. They're literally just calling it Pokemon Sword, Pokemon Shield plus expansion pass, which immediately makes me wonder: like, are they not done? Because usually when you bundle DLC, I mean, Mortal Kombat kind of bucked the trend too. But they called it a complete edition and then proceeded to not be complete. But like, is there more for Pokemon? Because usually, like the next release would be the remake no, of done current gen engine. That's it. That's it. It's done. That's it. Franchise over. Yeah. All right. Franchise over. No, but I mean, like, like, are they gonna do like, like the expectation would be a Diamond and Pearl remake? You know, using the engine of the current game. I don't know if that's where they're gonna. Like, where do you guys see it going at this point? Like, because as more it stands right passes. now, more expansion passes like turned into yep. a service. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that makes the most sense, honestly, because, like, right now, Sword and Shield, it still doesn't have every... Even after Crown Tundra, it won't have every Pokemon, which on some level is fine, obviously. There's a lot of them. But A, like, I want Bidoof, and Leaks point to him not being in Camp Crown Tundra. And B, they're bringing over every Legendary, but just not including every starter. They're leaving them out to dry. It seems a little weird. So, yeah, I guess a service would sort of address that. Like, I mean, part of it is... There's, there's just too many kind of weird. Like, if, like, you're paying for, like... I mean, they would obviously have to offer it with something else, but I can't really imagine them doing... For $5, here is, like, a... We'll call it, like, the nature pack, and it's just, like, 20 nature-related Pokemon. That oh, no, 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 no. They're not going to do that. No. <laughs> I, if, I think, like, what does that mean? Like, do you automatically get them, or they'll just start appearing in the game somewhere? I think it would be what they're doing with Count Tundra and, I, and uh, Isle of Armor. It, like... I think they would do new regions with new Pokemon in those regions. Like, I think if they were to do a service thing, now that kind of said it, I feel like they kind of positioned Pokemon the wrong way from the start. Like, Sword and Shield, they should have just done a unified one version and called it, like, Pokemon World or something. Like, yeah, I know it sounds like Monster Hunter World, and I think it's the name of a Pokemon album from, like, 2001, the one one with Meryl on the cover. So they've kind of already used the name. But really, like, they could just keep iterating with new DLC and ultimately bring in all the regions, right? Like, there's no reason... Like, there's no reason that if they want to do a Diamond and Pearl remake, they have to necessarily make a separate game they could just introduce the region from diamond and pearl into this yeah you're right and then they could do that with other stuff theoretically because like even and it's even a way to get out of the problem of having you know like dynamax versus gigant or versus yeah versus gigantum no they're they're the same game dynamax versus mega evolutions there we go that's what i was thinking of yeah um because if they thanks angel you're so encouraging but no i'm just thinking out loud like if they were to um just take those worlds and shove them into the current gameplay with the current game they don't have to figure out how mega evolutions work anymore they just have the gigantamax forms or the gigamax forms there instead and problem solved like if they did a full remake and sold it for 60 bucks i feel like i feel like um you would have to have all the systems in place like you can't just ignore a whole mechanic of mega evolutions and if you just do Dimax, and how is it different from the game you're currently playing just a different region but the other one like can you transfer your things like presumably pokemon home would work with it like pokemon home integration for pokemon go to bring pokemon into sword and shield supposed to be ready by the end of the year now like that feels like something that would fit well with a service versus just all these scattering games preach yeah i i will because i think there's one other the more i think about here there's one other angle that makes sense for nintendo um which is basically they they can just double down on the sales because like sword and shield 
Uh, yeah, they have like a baked in audience. It's something like 18 million people from their last financial report. They're saying it's like 18.2 or 18.4 or something like that million people own Sword or Shield. So to get them to cough up 20 or 30 bucks for some new regions versus having people want to spend a whole nother $60, yeah, I'm pretty sure they could actually generate more this way. Because like the remake, I remember the remakes for like Gold and Silver were like half the sales of the originals like heart gold and soul silver sold like 12 or 13 million i think gold and silver sold like 24 or something so like this would be an easy way to get people to just double dip and then for people who don't have it that maybe want to revisit diamond and pearl now they're gonna pay 90 dollars to do it so you're actually getting them to pay more yeah, actually you know the game of service thing makes sense i can see them doing that hmm. yeah maybe but um well, Ke- well, let's let's ask this then, Kevin. You, when was the last Pokemon game you played before Sword and Shield? Diamond and Pearl. So well, that's when we played Sword and Shield. Also, that. Ooh, it's been a while. Would if it's they been stuck? A while. If they, <laughs> okay, stained. If they stuck um, Diamond and Pearl inside Sword and Shield, would they, would you be more likely to do that? Or if they made a remake of Diamond and Pearl, would you more be like more likely to do that? Or would you do neither? I would do neither. Oh, well, you're too many games out right there. now. Okay, fair. <laughs> well, it does kind of go back to the same thing we were saying, you know, uh, last couple episodes about how there's only so much time, and if every game's going to become a yeah. service, yeah, I'm not long for this world, so we got to use the time we uh-huh. have here very carefully. Well, Angel, would you jump in at some point if if they turned Sword and Shield into like a, a world, essentially, like a never-ending thing? Would would you at some point jump in? Because I know you were waiting. For chat tot or for something Maybe. else? Maybe. I mean, I did essentially end up skipping Sword and Shield, so... Yeah. I, I've been on hiatus, and... I don't know, maybe it's been long enough, but... There's also plenty of other games to play, so... I mean, I'm definitely going to be giving Monster Hunter Rise a really good shot, since I essentially completely skipped over Worlds, so... Right. Yeah. And theoretically, if they did DLC as part of the next po- like if they just made Pokemon to a service at some point when the same way you lap back to Monster Hunter at some point you'd want to circle back to Pokemon but it would yeah. just be Sword and Shield wouldn't yeah, it? It's like, I don't oh. even know if I will at this point like is this too big of a time thing I mean I still like mm. Pokemon I still like I still keep up with the game like I essentially read and watched just about every section of the game so it almost feels like I've played through it like I've seen every boss encounter i've seen every major pokemon encounter i know every pokemon every new pokemon that's out there I, I have a favorite from this generation even but um i think i might just continue doing that because i still love pokemon as a franchise but maybe i don't know starting to feel like i just don't have time to play its games anymore i mean the, the one nice thing is it would have to be very do... adastric change or something Right. The the one nice thing is if the ever if you ever do feel the urge to jump back in, I believe all the DLC you don't need to get very far to access. I think they're intentionally letting you jump into the DLC sooner rather than later, which again sort of primes the pump for them adding additional regions and past game stuff. Yeah. So. I mean, I guess they did do it with these two, unless for all we know, they were already in there from the very beginning. They were just a little <laughs> incomplete, and we they just had to, you know, kind of finish them up and then just unlock Maybe. them. I thought you meant that they were already done and just waiting. And this I mean, whole time, too. this whole time, every legendary just sitting on your cartridge. They were just, yeah, just polishing it this whole time. But maybe, maybe. But yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where it goes because it is definitely like Pokemon's at like a. It's in a transitional phase right now where 
it, it was like halfway towards the MMO or towards like the open, not quite open world, but towards like multi mass, kind of mass multiplayer online approach. And um, I feel like depending on how they play this, they can go fully in or they can like walk it back and go back to their old setup. So it's going to be interesting to see which way they go. But for those who want something to do with Storm Shield, Crown Tundra's out um, the week after Steve and um, Alex and Smash. So it's a busy couple weeks for Nintendo fo- for DLC. Um, now there is one more topic. That's all for news. Unless you guys have any news stories you want to talk about, actually, before I jump. Not really. No. I guess except that like it shouldn't be too hard for Nintendo to adapt. Like if they really want to completely change it up, and they're gonna have to at some point. Like it's not that hard to adapt Pokemon into like a real time RPG kind of like Tales or even some of the modern Final Fantasy since you know the trainers just in the background. Every you could just be controlling the Pokemon directly and anything you do when you're picking you? moves is literally just the trainer calling it out like in like in Smash Brothers because you're technically controlling the trainer but you're playing as the Pokemon. Do you legitimately see them doing that with? such a bread winning breadwinner for them like do you actually see him shaking it up that much the core mechanic? not now but i feel like there there will be a time where they'll have to change it up in some way i don't know if they'll go that way but i feel like there will be a time where they are gonna completely change it up and just let their current system kind of die that will be interesting to see unfold because i'm because they're so tepid with how they do anything with pokemon that's gonna be there's gonna be that weird middle step and I don't know what that weird middle step looks like, but there's going to be a I weird mean, middle step. I, I, I guess as soon as like the sales start to dwindle, I mean, whenever that game comes out that right. meets, doesn't even get any close to meeting the expectations, then they'll be like, whoa, okay, it, it was time to evolve. Huh. Yeah. Well done. Was that all just for the joke? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, or they'll just keep doing more and more spinoffs, like that... that um, What's the one they're making with Tencent? I'm drawing a blank on what it's called. Pokemon. Pokemon. Masters. Dota. Which one? Unif- Pokemon oh, Unite. Uh... Unite? Unite, yeah. Because yeah. that's more of the real-time thing, in a way. Yeah. 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 Whenever that comes out. It's so funny how they just announce a bunch of Pokemon games and then just, like, stop talking about them. <laughs> I mean, remember uh, Pokemon uh, Sleep? It's been over a year. Where'd it go? Well, they're sleeping on it, Blue. I guess so. Um, now there there is one more topic that we're gonna to touch on. I think I'm the only one that's seen them, but Angel, you were asking me about them and to compare them. But have either of you watched uh, High Score and or Console Wars, the two new game documentaries on I've seen Netflix one and episode. CBS? I've seen one episode of High Score, but okay. Kevin, you uh, seen either of them? Nothing. Yeah, it it was enough for me to be. I don't know if I'm gonna watch the rest of it. Yeah, but yeah, I'm curious, like. Since you've seen them, I'm guessing you've seen yes. them on their own. I, I have. I've seen their entire. Like, yes. Are they have. worth checking out for people like us that essentially keep up with video game history? And I, I, I don't know I'd say yes. I'd say like they're 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 really the video game version of those fire festival documentaries, where the two of them are very similar but like different in some distinct ways. And um, I think, I think like upfront both. I should say both are quite well done. They both cover some of the same milestones in gaming, specifically on the Nintendo side, like, you know, how they saved the industry, obviously the 16-bit war. That's what Console Wars is all about, that stuff. Uh, They both do this thing where they recreate pivotal, like, boardroom scenes and stuff in 16-bit graphics and have, like, these visual sight gags in them, which is – I mean, they they do a good job. They they look nice. Actually, it's funny because they're both 16-bit, but, like, their art styles are noticeably different. 
So it's kind of funny how they're like similar but different. And likewise, their presentation style is a little different. Um, like High Score has our pal Charles Martinet, and I call him our pal because one time he shouted us out when we specifically asked him to. So that's what real friendship is, right? But he's narrating one and has some quippy comments as he goes. And then Console Wars has no narrator and just tells the story through its talking heads. Um, and Console Wars, that one skews more on the Sega side. Like here's a scrappy underdog fighting big, bad, mon- monopolistic Nintendo. Uh, but it was really cool to see that the team behind the movie was able to get talking heads from both companies, like the biggest of the big two. I mean, they had all the Sega execs, and on the Nintendo side, anyone who follows Nintendo history, like they had Howard Lincoln, they had Peter Main, they had Howard Phillips, who's like Nintendo's so-called game master in the NES heyday. You know, plus names from like more recent, like when I started following their business side, like their marketing guy George Harrison, who was there, I think from like late Super Nintendo up through just before the Wii. Um, so it was cool to see just the breadth of who they got, and like for that, I was interested in it. But um, I imagine, to your question, Angel, if anyone's listening to this podcast, they, there's a decent chance they know the main like markers of game history, like they know the milestones. So the question does become like, what do these offer beyond that, in any, if anything? And I, I guess like they do, they both teach you stuff you maybe don't know. Like I consider myself pretty well versed, and I definitely learned some things, particularly from high score. Uh, high score achieves this because it really sets out specifically to do so like they don't frame the episode around milestones of game history per se each episode has a theme and kind of bounces around within it usually trying to include like lesser known stuff in some sort of esports the logic there i guess um is that the history of gaming is always about who makes the games and not so much who plays the games but the players are just as important so they always try and emphasize that so like you know, those segments on the winner of the first Space Invaders competition we're talking about the arcade scene blowing up or the gameplay counselors you call at Nintendo in the 80s because they're trying to emphasize how big Nintendo was to add a hotline with hundreds of people on the staff to answer phone calls. That's or like true. when or when they're talking about like, uh, you know, Sega's rise is kind of the bad boy in gaming and the cool one, like they, they met with uh, uh, the winner of a big MTV Sega co-sponsored Genesis competition that was held on Alcatraz or in Alcatraz, I don't know. It's on the island of Alcatraz. It's in the prison of Alcatraz. Alcatraz. Uh, and, like, all those, um, you know, are framed within this bar topic of whatever it is in that episode. So that was kind of cool to see, like, especially all the archival footage that came with it, which is also one of the things Contours has going for it in its favor is they have all this old footage of Nintendo and Sega press conferences and booth videos from CES and E3, and it's so up my alley it isn't even funny. And, like, while I know the beats of that story a bit better, hearing some of the first-hand anecdotes from those involved is really kind of cool. But it's not as, like – you're not going to learn as much from Console Wars unless you're very unfamiliar. Like, one thing I like about High Score uh, that it did that Console Wars didn't do is it talked about some parts of gaming you don't know about and even some, like, different types of representation in gaming. Like, they did a thing about the rise of – gaming. Yeah. Like, they did a thing about the rise of Madden and sports, sports oh, games in general with Trip Hawkins – and then it wasn't just about Trip Hawkins inventing Madden, which was like a big thing, like Trip Hawkins, founder of EA. Uh, it loops in the guy, the story of the guy who helped get black athletes into the game. They originally were all white, and then this guy who uh, they make a point of emphasizing he's not just a black guy, he's also gay. Like, look, he is monumental in the moment where gaming went from just generic white humans to actual diversity in the game, which is a, you know one of those things that's like – that's not the, the big thing you read in every history book, but it's kind of a big moment for gaming. When you know they start, it starts to represent the player base better. Or like they talked about a system I never even heard of before called the Fairchild System F, never which heard was of that the one? 
I never heard of that. I don't know how I met. What, okay, Angel, what is it? Or <laughs> it's a system. Yeah. Okay. What's special about it? It came out and people like. Correct. It. it was the first system to have a cartridge ever, and that's completely ignored by gaming history. Like, no one talks about that. And again, that one they pointed out was like is a black guy who did it. And like at that time, like that's a super minority group in computing. So you know, and no one really talked about. He invented the thing that every console up through the Switch still does. So um, it is kind of cool how they try and like balance the big stuff with the little stuff. And then sometimes, to be honest, it feels a little heavy-handed um, in the sense of like they did an episode about RPGs and they're talking about the likes of Ultima and everything. And then they talk about this uh, LGBTQ-themed RPG called Gayblade, which I guess in that world at that time was a big deal because it was the first representation but it felt like when they were trying to balance it with some of the other stuff in the episode, it felt like they made it seem like it was a bigger release than it was. And it was a bigger release for a small group, but I, it just felt a little like they were, the billing of it was a little like lopsided kind of. But for the most part, it's really cool to see them sort of strike mostly a really good balance between the big gaming history moments and you sort of smaller tales that in many ways are probably just as impactful. Like even stuff like, you know, when they talk about Miss Pac-Man, they didn't just go, oh, women played Pac-Man, so they put a bow on him. They went through, well, actually what happened was there's a hacker scene in arcade circuit board, like modding community, and they sort of birthed this alternate Pac-Man and then Namco looked and saw, well, here's an opportunity and kind of so paired like it with their Sonic player Mania base. And I guess so, which I had no idea it was. It's so like there's always little things you learn along the way. And um, like sometimes the, the way they try to connect the dots work better than others. Like they try to give everything equal pizzazz, which is kind of what I was getting at with the Gay Blade example before. Like they try and make everything seem as heavily weighted. But the stories themselves can vary in how compelling they are or how um, – big of a moment it was and it's almost to a wild degree like some episodes have just have way more gravitas i guess you could say than others uh but from really trying to attempt to tell those stories on equal footing, like I, that's pretty cool to see all these like lesser gaming history moments in the zeitgeist get a chance to kind of be pushed up and get some attention so high score is really cool for that and i did actually learn more from it than i thought i would um console wars plays it a bit more by the book there's no tangent since like untold gaming history, um, but they do, like I was saying, use those talking heads. So they have a deeper dive into the 16-bit war. They have that archival footage I mentioned. And it's funny because like one of High Score's episodes actually focuses on the exact same topics of the 16-bit war. They cover the attitude difference of Sega and Nintendo's marketing. They cover you know the like ad blitz that Sega did, the Senate hearings over Mortal Kombat and Night Trap. So like that's actually probably the best apples to apples comparison. Because you got high score and console wars literally doing the exact same story. And I think console wars for this one topic is the more compelling of the two simply because they had that wealth of knowledge from their interviewees. It's hard to like, you know, top having the heads of Sega and Nintendo both telling you their sides of their story. Um, and Anything because contradictory? Con no, nothing too con there, nothing contradictory, but there is a little like the story of how the head of Sega of America was sort of plucked to be the head of Sega of America. It's similar but slightly different. Like, both stories are basically he was in Hawaii, and a, one of the Sega Japanese office, like, heads came up to him just randomly and was like, hey, we want you to work for us because he's a, he was a big name at Mattel or something. And just, like, the, the pacing of the story and the exact, like, unfolding of events was slightly different in each version, even though it was the same basic story. Uh, but then some stories are spot on. Like, apparently when he was in the uh, – he basically went to Sega in Japan and gave a pitch of here's how we're going to take America. Here's how we're going to counter Nintendo. And it was super, like, not what Sega wanted to do. They wanted to cut the price. They wanted to be aggressive, all this other stuff. They need a mascot and Sonic, like, all this stuff. And in both 
movie, both series, both documentaries, um, the story goes exactly the same, which is the head of Sega got up, looked super mad, walked out of the room, and as he was opening the door, turned back and said, go, go ahead. I don't like it, but I told you you'd have full control. And that story is like verbatim in both. So um, there's similarities and differences, but I think I think the fact that Console Wars is so laser focused on this tale, this how they frame it, scrappy underdog Sega finding a big behemoth Nintendo, which is kind of true. Um, I think like the fact that they were able to focus on that let you get a little deeper and learn a little more. Like even silly things, like apparently in the early Sega days, like multiple execs lived in a Days in near the office because no one had housing yet because they all just moved there because it was so like spur of the moment. But um, you know, sometimes with that one, though, the narrative rushes a little to the point of, like, just keeping the story going. So it becomes very heavily focused on the Sega side. Nintendo's sort of the other, although my understanding is the Console Wars book that it's based on is the same way. But overall, I'd say both, like, if you have any interest in gaming history, both are, are really entertaining and interesting. Um, they're, they're different approaches, but they're both fun watches. Um, and I do, I do appreciate I think the way I can sum it up is I think I like the style of Console Wars better, but I think the content of High Score I learn more from. Big and small. So that's kind of um, where I'm at with those. I mean, what did you think of the one episode you saw, Angel? Uh, like I said, I feel like I didn't really learn anything new, or at least if I did, it wasn't something very exciting. Mm-hmm. Maybe because well, I do find a lot of the history of video games interesting, there's just so many like similar structured videos that I've seen on YouTube that teach about the history of video games. And, so it's kind of hard to find is... something that I haven't seen already. And even if I hadn't, it feels like something I had. Because I, yeah, like, I honestly can't tell you how many like history of blah, 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 or certain companies like that I'm just like, that I already learned about or already saw videos of. And even if they're YouTube videos, like they were still, they still have pretty good production value. So I know. It's interesting because I don't know how they could compete with... It's kind of like the whole, like, the toys that made us kind of deal where, like, I've seen and know plenty of, like, documentaries, like, actual documentaries on, like, the history of Ninja Turtles. And for the most part, it does feel like, yeah, the toys that made us isn't doing anything new that I haven't seen already. And, you know, yeah. You 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 can practically live on YouTube and find, like, the history of anything. And there'll Mm -hmm. be plenty of little documentaries there. Sometimes it's but, better uh, info, but that's yeah. kind of the thing. Is like I don't watch a lot of those uh, YouTube videos, and I think they're trying both High Score and Consorts trying to differentiate from that by having all these people to talk to. Like when when you know, let's talk about how they talk to like the Sega champion, or they talk to the dude who made Gayblade, or they talk to, you know to Trip Hawkins and like all that. Like they they're trying to have it not just be well. Here's a thing that happened. They're trying to have it be in the words of the people that had it occur. So for like console wars, it was super cool because I know who all those people are. I thought like I've read Game Over, I've read all sorts of books about them. I know like the importance of or the the get of getting Howard Lincoln and Peter Main in your video. Like that's big if you're or in your documentary. And YouTubers are not getting them. They're not ga- getting a uh, Gail. Um, oh, what's her name? I forgot her last name. Tilden. There we go. Who was the uh, publisher of Nintendo Power? She was the editor in chief of Nintendo Power when it started. That's like, true. They're not getting uh, her, but like I, I guess I the gets that. Uh, I guess so. the gets that. Um some of these documentaries can get because of the money they have behind them. Exactly. It can be interesting exactly. sometimes, but I would honestly say nine times out of ten. Like, it literally feels like nine times out of ten. Mm-hmm. They get people that are just as uninteresting, if not less interesting, than than the fact that people... that Some of these YouTube documentaries don't even get anybody. Like, a lot of it is just, like, research that they've done in some videos or some right. other 
like anecdotal evidence, but yeah, like I feel like a lot of these documents always get like just random. Sometimes they'll just get like random player or random, pretty much people that have the same opinions or as much knowledge as you have. So I feel like I'm not gaining anything. Yeah, but, so these but, but every once in a while they will. But every once in a while they will get someone that's like, oh, this is actually someone interesting to hear directly from. But yeah, these, these do a better. These definitely do a better job of that. Like they got uh, the co-creator of Sonic. They got you know the, one of the Pac-Man people. They for they have an episode about fighting games, and they have um, I don't remember who. It's not Ono who's now retiring from Capcom. It's someone else in that sphere. But they, you know, they really did seek out some people. They got instead, and, and it's also interesting who they tried to get in some ways because they didn't get anyone from Nintendo Japan. They got. Uh, Oh, what's his name? The um, the composer of all the NES games who did the music, who then um, pivoted to be a DJ. He's like a chiptune DJ. I forgot his Reggie. name. No. <laughs> Reggie. But no, like they got him and they talked about like kind of the, the era of NES and the technology, but through the through the lens of like the music. So like they – some of it was because they couldn't get other people, I'm sure. And like it's weird how they would like, especially in high score, lead with like these smaller people and they'd be like, oh, and also there was Miyamoto. Like they got Dylan uh, Cuthbert who did Star Fox and they were talking about like the evolution into 3D and they did not focus on Mario 64. They focused on how Star Fox and the Super FX chip was kind of the early entry point to that and then how it kind of became Mario 64. But um, like the, the flow I mean. But Wait, so you're saying they couldn't get an interview with Miyamoto? No, neither of them did. But my point is, like, wow. it's kind of it was kind of interesting that they Just, didn't wow. get the biggest names necessarily. Wow. Even the yeah, okay, even why, the other. Why even bother at that point? But <laughs> but they got like interesting people for sure, and some names that if you follow Nintendo, you will recognize. So, um, at least on on high score in console wars, they went like full on. Let's get the entire C suite of, of executives from the American branches, which they succeeded in. Um, so yeah, it's just slightly different approaches, but. But I see your point. Like, yeah, if you like, if you watch a lot of, like Did You Know Gaming, if you watch a lot of those sort of like the history of, yeah, it's it's not gonna have the same weight. But it is. It was for someone who doesn't watch a ton of them, but still knows all this stuff from reading it up on it over the years. Like, I still learned a fair amount and thought it was very interesting. So, so that's you know, that's those. Uh, they're really maybe the perfect thing to tide you over until our next episode, unless anyone has anything they want to talk about this episode still. Uh, unfortunately, no. I wish I had it, but no. Sorry. Nothing. All right. Well, on that note, you guys can go watch those uh, this week because this coming weekend we'll be back with the new Quarantine Chronicles for all our non-Nintendo shenanigans, uh, followed by our regular, our next regular random Nintendo on October 25th. And you can bet we're going to have hands-on impressions of uh, Minecraft, Steven, Alex, and Smash, plus, of course, all the latest Nintendo news, maybe some Hades, depending on uh, Kevin's Joy-Con and save state status, I guess. Um, but yeah, to make sure you don't miss that, you can subs- any of that, quarantine or otherwise, you can subscribe uh, to us on all the podcast apps. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Pandora, TuneIn, iHeartRadio. Uh, we're on YouTube, RandomNintendo.com is our name. And you can also follow us on Twitter, at RandomNintendo, to stay up to date on that stuff. Or if you want to hear our individual thoughts on whatever it is we're thinking about, I'm JSR7. Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. Kevin is KVN Gomi. I think that's it for the housekeeping. Um, Kevin, any last words? Final words? Uh, I don't know. Put Michael J. Fox in Smash.